stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Kendall Jenner saves the world, Sergio Garcia wins a major, and James Hinchcliffe takes Long Beach. It's been a hell of a week on Motorsport 101. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Andre Harrison, your friendly neighborhood host, and welcome to episode 81 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. It is a beautiful, uh, candlelit, dark London evening here. And uh, yeah, can't wait to talk about some motorsport. It's been a very, very busy week, to say the least. A lot went on, which I'm sure we'll mention in Keeping It 101 later. But uh, I'm excited for this one, Um, although you may or may not have seen a certain Twitter video that I put out earlier today at the time of recording. It came out on Monday as, uh, as, as, as this goes out. This might be my last show for a little while. Um, basically, I'm suffering from burnout, <laughs> basically, and long story short, I think I need a bit of me time, so we'll have to wait and see how this goes, I'll see how I feel, I'll keep you posted, just you know, follow us on all the social media for all of that stuff, speaking of which, I'll get to that in a second, but first our guest, as usual, Mr. Ryan King, hello sir. Yep, doing great, my boy became a man on Sunday, oh my god, I can't believe that Sergio Garcia finally wins a major. Wait, you're one of those guys that actually is a Sergio Garcia fan and not just one of those guys that feels sorry for him? <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it, that, it, that, that wasn't a denial, King. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was kind of hard to be a Tiger Woods fan because he just won so much. It was, it was impressive, but, you know, you gotta cheer for someone that you, you know, connect with and you want to see win, but just never won. She's so sociable. So uh, you, you, you got you got you got to like the relatable stars, the relatable stars. And in the blue corner, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. You know, um, when we were going into this episode, we were thinking that man, Pepsi's reputation with that very um, ill-spoken and tone-deaf Kendall Jenner ad was probably going to be like the worst example of PR for a company. And then United Airlines was just like. Oh my beer, kid. Oh <laughs> my beer. And then Sean Spice said, "Hold their beer. I got this, fam. It, it, it's been quite the day, to say the least." Um, but uh, hey, stick to sports, Dre. Stick to sports um, for about five seconds. Anyway, here's all the places you can find us. As always, we are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally, we are at Harrison 101 HD. At Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Remember, our next target at $125 is a monthly t shirt giveaway. So, hey, check that out. Who doesn't like free stuff after all? Right, let's, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show and let's get into keeping it 101 this week. And yeah, it's, it's, it, there's a lot to go on here. And, who wants to go first this week? Anyone? Uh, Anyone at all? I know we all have stories, but I think a lot of us <laughs> just don't want to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I, I, I will take one for the team and go first on this one. 
Um, my gosh, like, for those guys that don't know, I work at a bookies. That's, that's, that's quite clear. And this is a big week for us. It was Grand National Week. Um, the biggest jumps race in the world, basically. And, um, my God, I was in from, like, 3.30 till 10pm in the afternoon. And the bookies had never been so busy in, like, the year and a half I've been in that shop. Or year I've been in the shop, basically. Because, like, the Grand National is the one day a year where everybody goes out and has a flutter. Like, like for... For any reason that you like, you like a name of a horse for whatever reason it means something to you. You put a pound on it and you and you hope it wins. And you know, a forty-horse race round Aintree with about twenty-seven odd jumps and, and nine minutes of drama, and it's a great laugh. Like we bookies absolutely love the Grand National. We take thousands of pounds of money and and and, and we celebrate with a beer bath. Basically, I got my first savings account on Gunk and my second <laughs> savings account on Hoofhearted. <laughs> so yeah uh shout out to one one for arthur the the the, the, the one i think was the first scottish grand national winner i think since 78 um so nearly 40 years it's the last time a scottish horse a scottish trained horse won the grand national the favorite black lion falling apart towards the end he was about five lengths clear with two furlongs to go and it, the, the wheels fell off almost literally in that case poor black lion there but uh yeah it was it was a fun time it was a really really fun time um, like we took, I think something like 850 bets that day. And it was so weird. Cause like after the grand national, everybody just went home. Like, like, like everybody went like the shop was completely dead after about six o'clock and the race itself was at 515. <laughs> so it's crazy. I just, how much it can be polarizing, but Hey, the, the shop seems to gave us all 20 quid for free. So we all bought ourselves pizza. It was great. Um, also, same later on this week, we had the Masters. Now, the Masters is another big deal in the golfing world as well because we were paid eight places on it. And every, again, the Masters is one of those golf tournaments that everybody has a go with it, really. And it's fun. And um, basically, I, I'm, I'm like, like my boss's boss, um, Jason, my my BPM or business performance manager, as it's known, he got he, he runs eight shops basically. I had no one else in my shop, so he had to come down and look after me, basically. So we just, like, the shop was dead on that Sunday night. So we just sat down and watched the last round of the Masters together. And I am not a golf fan, but I actually found it strangely captivating. I actually did genuinely really enjoy watching the last round of the Masters. And I'm not a golfing fan at all. And it was actually kind of cool seeing Justin Rose, who, you know, has won a couple of, has won, I think, the US, the US Championship before and was aiming to be the first European player ever to win both that and the green jacket. And he was basically going head-to-head in that final round against Sergio Garcia, who I think it's it was his 74th attempt to win a major, basically being the ultimate nearly man in all of sports, essentially. Um, and King, your man got it. <laughs> yep, heading into that final round on the day, Justin Rose and Sergio Garcia were both tied for the lead at 900 par actually they were tied at the, for the lead at the end of the round at 900 par and it went to uh it went to a playoff which Sergio Garcia won on the first hole and oh my god i how how do i even like put this in the formula 1 terms like it'd be like if mark webber never retired and would win the world championship this season yeah that would be pretty ridiculous and yeah the, the, the you could see the overwhelming joy on his face when he finally realized it was a beautiful part to win it as well he had two cracks at it because justin rose had 
driven his his his, his tee shot into the trees and basically was probably going to bogey the hole at best. But Sergio had two putts to win the Masters, and he drained it on the first attempt. It was it was a it was a beautiful putt. And the, the the joy on his face, he just dropped to his knees. He couldn't believe he'd won it. And Justin Rose is such a nice man. <laughs> like, such <laughs> such a classy competitor. Um, was had nothing but praise. He was the first man to congratulate him. Like, I know, like, the wives, and I think, I think, I think it was Sergio's fiance and, like, Justin's mum and, and wife was down there, and they were hugging it out, and it was so sweet. Like they're all just such lovely people. It's it, like it was. It, it, I was just kind of gutted. Like I was on the, I'm, I'm like Gary Lineker. I was like, does, does somebody have to lose here? <laughs> like, yeah. bo- I mean, uh, th- thankfully it was the Masters and it was a sudden death playoff because a lot of people don't know this. All the majors have different rules. If it was the U.S. Open, which Rose had won, it would have been an 18-hole playoff. Did they have to play an entire round again? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. The, 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 the... I'm pretty sure they would have been at each other's throats by the end of it. <laughs> it's it's like next thing you know, they're not being quite so classy. Justin Rose doesn't wait for Sergio Garcia anymore to walk up to the green. <laughs> <laughs> just just like mad go- maximum golf pettiness right here. We would probably have gone down. And also, King, I'm kind of mad. I had like a pound fifty each way out of Ricky Fowler, and he completely blew that final round. <laughs> I was. I mean, uh, I do do. I don't want to go into saying it, but that's kind of Ricky Fowler. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Wasn't there a dude who just quit after taking one shot? It was Dustin oh. Johnson. Yeah, world number one Justin Johnson. Yeah, he quit after taking one shot in the first hole because the previous day he had hurt himself. He fell down a flight of stairs. It's 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 it's, it's, it's the most. <laughs> ridiculous. This is gonna go down in one of those like great. It's gonna be like in every sports pub quiz in twenty years time. How did Dustin Johnson not take part in the twenty seventeen Masters? He fell down a flight of stairs at his house. I mean, give I, I give him one thing. Like, if I was if I was him, I would have just like, yep, I'm not playing the tournament. Like the moment after I fall down, no, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll step up to the tee, give it a go, and and see how I feel. You're like he steps up to the tee, takes a shot. Nope, not gonna be able to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, the fact he, he he came out there said he was gonna play. Took one shot on that was like nope I've had enough it it, it didn't look good um, I drive, think it's what dust drive leave though <laughs> though I gotta say whatever Augusta home he rented that weekend and he fell down the stairs that house's value probably just skyrocketed because it's forever known as the house where Dustin Johnson fell down the staircase the house where the world number one and like he won the last three tournaments he'd taken part in Dustin Johnson was on fire going into this tournament. And he was the landslide bookie's favorite. Like he was like four to one to win the Masters, which is for golf terms is crazy low for for a golf tournament. So the fact that he had injured himself, like that was really annoying. Like really, really annoying. So uh, yeah, none of my bets came through. I had bets on 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 Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, and I think Tyrrell Hatton, the local boy as well. Um, I think he's from High Wycombe, just up the road from where where where, where I live. So um, yeah, we'll be back to Tyrrell Hatton um, somewhere. Ex Matty G is probably really pissed because his man's let him down. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's just like that was a really fun time watching that golf. Like I might actually make an habit of watching more golf on TV when it rolls around on the, on the terrestrial channels because it was actually pretty enjoyable to watch. 
much. Very tranquil. Yeah. I know. I know Augusta. Yeah, I'd probably say just just watch the major tournaments. Yeah. Like yeah. just watch the major tournaments in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Don't don't exhaust yourself. No, 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 no. Don't no, be like that darts fan who tries to watch the PDC Players Championships, which I swear are held in a quiet office building in like some suburb in Britain. <laughs> with like no visible audience members and the referees just like 180. Yeah. RJ, what is wrong with you? Um, I've lost control of my life for several years. I've just <laughs> I've been so, I'm strangely captivated by mediocre darts tournaments. <laughs> also message as well, um big shout out to Kim Hubrikes and um sorry to hear his mother passed away last week, so I didn't take part in last week's Premier League. That was a bummer. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad the whole darts world rallied behind him there for a minute. RJ, you, you wanted to talk about wrestling, and then sadly not in the greatest of contexts. Yeah, because because imagine this is a this is a pro wrestling podcast, a Motorsport 101. Um, we've had we've had good talks about WrestleMania the past couple weeks, but this yep. one is not such a good story. If you've been an avid watcher of SmackDown Live, you may have noticed the absence of. Late announcer Mar Ranallo, which we now know is the result of a long-term depressive episode. Thankfully, we can say that Mar Ranallo is back to being involved on social media. He has a gig calling Showtime Botsing coming up in a couple of weeks, which is awesome. He's back on his podcast with Boz Rutten, but he is... He is talking very much about his involvement in the WWE in terms of the past tense. He's basically no longer acknowledging himself as a WWE employee, and the Word is that he is just going to let his contract run out after sitting out the last month. And this is more likely, this is pretty much what we can kind of deduce is the result of some backstage bullying between himself and his broadcast colleague, John Bradshaw Layfield, that has been going on for several, for several weeks, in fact. Um, apparently, this stems from Ronaldo being named Wrestling Observer Newsletter's uh, announcer of the year over JBL, which I believe JBL was named worst announcer of the year in that same voting, uh, because the Wrestling Observer ah. Awards are all uh, they're all voted on by fans, so it's all like readers of the newsletter that decide on these awards, and then that's how they're given up. So Ronaldo had been named Wrestling Announcer of the Year for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Like, even if you think like. Ronaldo's WWE on-air persona is just a just a watered-down version of himself where he's just reduced to, like, catchphrases and kind of cringy pop culture references. The enthusiasm he brings to this job is so genuine and so great. Absolutely. He's one of my, he's one of my inspirations as a play-by-play -play commentator, and he has so much respect in all forms of combat sports, not just in professional wrestling, but Ms. also martial arts as well. Mitz Martial Arts. He was the lead announcer for Pride Fighting Championships way back in the day. He's still involved with boxing on the Showtime networks. He was the lead announcer for Strike Force Fighting Championships Absolutely. way back when. Um, so he's got plenty of credentials. But in the last couple of weeks, um, with Ronaldo absent, JBL has actually taken to WWE Network programming to kind of tear into him and say that he doesn't have really the mindset of a WWE performer. There's been numerous reports now that the uh, that the on-air like teasing between Ronaldo and JBL that had been going on in like their last couple weeks together was more than just, you know, for storyline. And in the weeks that this story has been developing and Ronaldo has been off television, 
uh, people like former WWE ring announcer Justin Roberts have been making light of some backstage stories involving uh, John Layfield, which are not very pleasant. And he's not the only person that's come through and said this. Um, you've had the likes of, there's been some unsavory stories involving the likes of uh, John Morrison, now John Ni- Johnny Nitro, um, now Johnny Mundo. You have stories involving him and Edge, him and The Miz. Um, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter has challenged a lot of mainstream news outlets to uh, to kind of cover this story um, and get it some mainstream attention because, quite honestly, this is... I'm not going to lie, this is messed up, and I'm, mm. I'm quite upset about it, and especially because it is, it is costing the WWE one of their best announcing talents they've ever had in quite a long time, since Jim Ross has been a part of the company for crying Ooh. out loud and for this to happen because because of some old fart who is very much stuck in his ways and believes that hazing and bullying and treating people like shit is the best way to kind of break them into the business you know that old boys club mentality it's it, it's not right um as of right now there's already a growing uh growing support for the WD, WWE to fire JBL just as they did with former trainer Bill DeMott when stories of him hazing trainees at the performance center mm. came to light. Um, but this is this is not going to end. This is not going to end particularly well. Um, I don't see Layfield holding on to his job much longer. And to be honest, I I would be shocked and I would be disappointed if he is calling another episode of SmackDown Live after this because it's it's not acceptable. I know that pro wrestling has had its history of being just a carny and tasteless business with a lot of tasteless promotions, but it's 2017. This can't happen. Right. And, like, I remember... I remember this in in the NFL a few years ago when I think it was Jonathan Martin who was actively hazed by... I think it was Richie Incognito when, when they were both members of the Dolphins. And... I spoke up a lot about that because I was just getting into... It was my first, I think my second or third season as a proper hardcore NFL fan. And, like, I just saw that and I thought, what a fucking awful thing to have happen to somebody where this guy's shouting at you down the phone. Like, a lot of the abuse was racist. A lot of the abuse was, you know, like, was, was again, you, you could consider it homophobic um, with some of the words that was, that was being uttered towards him. And people were defending Richie Incognito for basically saying, "Oh, it, it's a locker room. You don't understand," and you know it's it's like, "Oh, you don't get it. You've never played football." Listen, I don't need to be in this sport to understand how what bullying is. It is a friggin' terrible thing to happen to anybody. And like Mauro Ranallo, for those guys that don't know, has had a long battle with depression and bipolar disorder. Um, he talked about it quite candidly um, to Ariel Helwani on an interview on MMAfighting.com from a few years ago, back when he was still of Strike Force, and it's still one of my favourite interviews that Helwani has ever done. It was so open, and Ronaldo just talked about his days of pride, about how nervous he was, about how he, you know, he battles depression and how he battles uh, bipolar disorder, which you know, unfortunately. I think in the in the in the in the grand scheme of the world, I think people are not don't take bipolar that seriously, but it's a very serious mental condition. And just seeing how people deal with that, it, it and it, it was a wonderful interview. And Ronaldo is as as RJ mentioned, one of the very best commentators I've ever seen in sports. He is fantastic, and 
like the fact that he even goes as far as to name moves to get you involved in wrestling. It's 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 the little details that make him so great, and the enthusiasm and the passion he has for combat sports is infectious. And it's a lost art that not a lot of pro wrestling commentators uh, do these days, apart from signature moves. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. It's 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 education. It's those little it's those little details like that which might make you stick around as a fan rather than just saying Sigla, Sigla, um, all all day basically. And again, it, it goes far beyond. It doesn't matter about how good Ronaldo is. The fact that he's so good, it just makes it more of a tragic thing that this has happened, where a man has felt like he's had to leave the best job of his life because some old fart. You know, like you say, has that old school, you know, rookie hazing mentality where you break in the new guy by being a dick towards them. Where it's right. just and this and, and as it has been covered, um, um, host emeritus Adam Johnson has been talking about this subject as well. This is not the first time that JBL has been involved with backstage incident hazing incidents. Um, there are some more unsavory ones that are documented in Justin Roberts' new autobiography, which is coming out. And Justin Roberts was another one of these people that's really brought the story to light, as did Dave Meltzer. And by the way, um, poor form as well on Jonathan Coachman at ESPN. For yes, I did see that. Of, for kind of standing, for just standing for for JBL in this instance when it's not really necessary. It's not a hill to die on. And it's not it's... a hill to die on and then subsequently throw a temper tantrum because you're worried that it's going to it's going to ruin your relationship with the WWE and the ESPN which is sad because given that he's a sports journalist now and he should know better especially way, when when yeah, Meltzer's probably the best in the business yeah <sighs> in a way it kind of reminds me of some of the less savory stories that have gone on in the NFL uh that ESPN has been kind of gun shy about covering or have let people go that have been more outspoken on this situation. Yeah, or the terrible things that have, you know, happened in, say, Major League Baseball over hazing, that basically the league had to essentially make it illegal to haze people, and basically getting caught hazing pretty much means you're out of baseball. It's it's so upsetting and... The main thing is that I'm glad that Mauro Ranallo is back to being active. He's going to be calling boxing matches soon, so that's great. And it seems like he's in pretty good spirits so far. Um, he did send out a tweet, um, and it was fairly cryptic. And that there's like there, I believe the tweet. There's three things in life that always come out: the sun, the moon, and the truth. Um, so I don't think we've heard the end of this story just yet, even if. Uh, Layfield has let go of his job and even if they just fire one person this is still something that is part of the culture of wrestling that really shouldn't be uh, because Absolutely. I love pro, pro, pro wrestling but even I've got to admit it, it, behind the scenes it can be pretty pretty bad yeah like many sports in fairness or like many a lot of sports put the illusion on of a great product but behind the scenes can be messy can have terrible business practices can, you know, can have just awful cultures. And I think, again, we mentioned the NFL. Look how rotten the NFL is as a cultural establishment from top to bottom. Concussion lawsuits, opioid addictions, you know, glossing over domestic violence to essentially a, 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 a quarterback that may or may not be getting blackballed by the team owners because he spoke out against 
against the national anthem because of America's systematic racism. It goes on and on. And wrestling is no different from that. And wrestling has always had stories like that from backstage. It's it's become a part of the industry. I mean, we've all seen those you shoot DVDs that come out with all these famous names that are candid about these stories. So anyone who's a hardcore wrestling fan knows to a degree that a lot of bullshit goes on behind the cameras we don't ever really see. So for that to become almost like a mainstream story now about Ronaldo essentially quitting the WWE because he was bullied out by JBL. Again, I hope it's one of those things that more people can have a conversation on because hazing is a practice that I think is just a relic of the past of sports and yet people but I don't know why people want to cling on to this supposed noble art so strongly when it's just a terrible thing like like making rookies on 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 small contracts making them fly out to fly the whole team out to dinner and pick up the $15,000 bill is just it's just a terrible thing so you know I I hope the culture of hazing dies and if it takes if it takes something like this being a mainstream story for us to have those conversations about it, then great. Because, again, JBL has always come across like a bit of a dick, quite frankly. And the fact he's bullying arguably the best thing to happen to, you know, broadcasting standards for the WWE's brand for some time, um, then, you know, so be it. But uh, hopefully things will improve soon. Uh, and let's hope more of the story comes out and we can, we, we can talk about this more. King, you got you got a thing for Joker Laps, I hear. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't have a thing for Joker Laps. I'm just talking about it because last weekend uh, the World Touring Car Championship season started, and this season they're introducing Joker Laps on their street circuits. Now, none of the street circuits have come up yet. The the first the first race of the season was on a street circuit in Morocco at Marrakesh, but they felt that. It, it couldn't work there. Right. But they're hoping that the idea of having Joker laps could make the World Touring Car Championship more exciting because, let's be honest here, when people think touring cars, they don't think the World Touring Car Championship. They rather watch, you know, you know British touring cars. The V8. Australian, su- yeah, yeah. The Australian supercars DTM, or DTM. TCR, National and International Championships. World Touring Car Championship has kind of just fallen by the wayside. And it's a shame because there's some really good guys in there. For example, Jose Maria Lopez was a three-time champion has just won himself a Toyota LMP1 drive for this season. He's good. He's also a USF1 alum. Yeah. <laughs> nice toaster. <laughs> yes, well, a, a lot of people have been speculating on whether this would actually be an improvement for the series or not an improvement. And essentially, there's a d- debate saying if the FIA World's Motorsport Council approved, you know, uh, World Touring Cars have Joker laps. Will we see Joker laps in other, you know, traditional circuit series? Do you guys think that we could see Joker laps in other series? I could definitely like, see it in Formula E. Really? In Formula E. <laughs> it just sounds like it would be right up their alley. We've got it, it does. also in World Rallycross Championships as well. Like, it was a practice that was borrowed from Rallycross, and to its yeah. credit, it worked out well, but... You know, this is kind of this thing where it's being introduced to traditional circuit racing, and that doesn't fly well with a traditionally traditional crowd. 
But I mean, I like like I like Joker laps because it can add a you know a level of strategic intrigue that you normally wouldn't get from shorter races or maybe some series that where you know pit stops don't really mean much. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Formula One because pit stops really don't mean much in Formula One because they're like two seconds long. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, it's one thing seeing it in radicals, which is very you know instantaneous, very fast, very short circuits, and I liked I liked the extra dimension that added to those events. I'm not sure it's going to work for a bigger event like like World Touring Cars. Like, how does this make the product more? How does this improve the product? That's all. I, that's all I want to know. Like, what was the rationale for bringing something like that in? Essentially. One of the reasons why they specifically said only street circuits because traditionally it's hard to overtake on street circuits. So, uh, I forgot the whoever runs World Touring Car. I forget his name. He essentially said he didn't want push to pass or DRS in World Touring Cars. He wanted something that actually rewarded drivers for being fast. So if you take a Joker lap and get clean air and are genuinely faster than the other car, when everything shakes out, you'll you know eventually be ahead of the cars that you're faster than, and instead of you know being stuck in dirty air, unable to overtake. Yeah, I okay. mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a patch on a series that really has a whole lot of problems. They had 15 cars last weekend for their opening round yeah. of the season. 15? Uh, 15. For comparison, British Touring Cars had 32. Jesus. Yeah, it, it's not looking good at all. And it, it's essentially, how do we make this more appealing to fans who wouldn't watch us otherwise? And... I think there's something in it to make the racing more exciting. I, I really want to see. I really want to see the first street race that comes up to see what happens because, like, generally I'm not a fan of like you know the type of Joker laps that they're doing, like the European style Joker laps that you see in Global Rallycross, where the Joker lap is longer than the traditional lap. Mm -hmm. Like here in the States, we have Global Rallycross, where the Joker lap is normally shorter than the normal lap, so you can use it to jump ahead for a bit and you get to really see stuff at the front get mixed up mm, i'm not sure i am not sure uh, i i i would actually probably watch a wtcc race uh, to, to see how that actually plays out in context because that actually does seem kind of intriguing i'm just not sure if it's a format that benefits that style of racing i mean with all that close running i think it could be chaos but we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out i suppose um, certainly interesting though. Like I, I, I always will applaud motorsport companies for trying to do something different. But um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see how that all shakes out in the long run. Um, I will definitely watch one race later in the year to see how it goes. <laughs> that that actually does seem interesting. Um, right, shall we talk about the Chinese Grand Prix, fellas? Chinese Grand Prix, you guys, and uh, yep, yeah, stop me if you've heard this one before, but Lewis Hamilton won the Chinese Grand Prix. Um, his fifth Chinese Grand Prix victory. 
Um, his sixth pole position there. It was a Grand Slam victory for Lewis Hamilton, the third Grand Slam of his career. Um, he, the pole, the win, he had the fastest lap of the race, and he led every single racing lap. And the and, fastest lap ever at Shanghai International Circuit, which he yeah. set in qualifying. Yeah, it was, it was a it was, it was a great qualifying session. In all fairness, like like Sebastian Vettel and, and Valtteri Bottas did give Lewis something to think about, but Lewis pulled out a stunning lap to take to take I think his sixty third pole position, um, which is putting him dangerously close to the all time pole position lead um, in F one history. I think he's only about half a dozen away from that now, but. The, the crazy thing is is that it was a race that, competitively speaking, almost effectively died by the end of lap five, uh, and f- for reasons which are all sorts of complicated. Well, the track started out damp. It, it had rained overnight. It was still in the process of drying out, but the race did start wet. It was declared a wet race so the drivers could choose. What compound to start on, as opposed to the normal rule of you know take whatever tire you ran in Q two basically. Um, everybody started to everybody just start an intermediate tire, except for Carlos Sainz. More on that later. But it was a race where you know we had a virtual safety car in the opening lap because uh, Lance Stroll was effectively punted off the road by Sergio Perez, that um, was unfortunate. Poor Lance can't catch a break. Um, Sergio would go on to finish in the points. Etc. Um, so there was a virtual safety car for that. Vettel pits during the virtual safety car for a set of dry tyres, thinking the track is dry enough. He comes out 18 seconds or so behind the leading pack um, of the leading three, which I believe was Lewis Hamilton and the two Red Bulls of um, of Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, who had somehow made up nine places <laughs> on the opening lap. And had gone from 16th to, to basically be net third. Bonkers stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't know if you, like, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but they have uploaded that lap on YouTube now. It's like he's playing a video game. <laughs> it really is. And uh, we'll probably get into this in a second. I think this has probably been one of Verstappen's best performances since he got to Red Bull after winning the Spanish Grand Prix. Like, this looks like a driver who's finally coming of age. It definitely seemed that way. Definitely. Um, Verstappen, again, a magnificent... Like, he seems to be turning into a real wet weather specialist. His, his, his confidence in that Red Bull, in the wet, is astonishing to see. I mean, if you watch the opening lap, which is on YouTube, um, not only, but, but Fernando Alonso also made a fantastic start. And Alonso's been, like, the king of these starts for some time. But the level of confidence those two have in wet conditions is jaw-dropping sometimes. Anyway, the virtual safety car period ends. Vettel comes out, like I said, about 18 seconds behind the leading pack. So as it stands, Vettel looks like he's about to inherit the lead of the Grand Prix. Dot, dot, dot. Until Antonio, Antonio Giovinazzi for the second time this weekend, because he crashed in qualifying too. Pretty much identical spot as well. Crashes on the home straight. Spins it and puts it in the wall. And uh, the baptism of fire for the young Italian continues. And, well... It caused an actual safety car, you know, the real one. Get get Maylander out, basically. And Vettel has to stop again, basically, as he runs through the pits. Turns out he drops back to sixth behind the Red Bulls, and Lewis Hamilton effectively gets to pit stop for free. 
and well, competitively speaking, that was pretty much the end of the race because Vettel was stuck behind Kimi Raikkonen and the Red Bulls for a significant amount of time, and that was the middle portion of the race in a nutshell, essentially. King, how confident were you? Like, do you think Vettel could have won that race if it wasn't for the safety car that came out? Yes, there, if if it wasn't for the safety car, there definitely would have been a chance. He he had the outright pace to catch Hamilton. Passing him again would have been another story, but there would have been a chance. I I, I definitely like to think that there was. Um, this is not just me. This is not just my bias coming in here. But eighteen seconds on a drying track on those tires, I think, as long as he doesn't lose it like Carlos did in the early goings of the race, I think he'd have had a real chance of winning the Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, that option was was very rather unluckily ripped out from underneath Vettel's odds there. But um, yeah. go on, RJ, if you want to. Yeah, I mean, my dad was having a hard time figuring out how he lost all that track position under the under both the virtual safety car and the genuine safety car. Like we were we were actually having a small shouting match over this because he couldn't figure it out, and neither could I. I think it was because he had to stop a second time. Okay, okay, then that makes sense. I'm like, wow. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think it was a virtual safety car initially, and then it was a full safety car, and I think in between that, Vettel had to pit a second time through the pits. I think because I think he came out originally on the super soft tire, and I think the second time around he came out on the soft tire. I think that's what did it, and that's what made him lose track position to Riker than the Red Bulls, basically. But it seems like that had a dramatic impact on Vettel's Grand Prix. Um, so, basically, as a result, we were we were seeing Verstappen kind of on his own, trying to chase down Max and not... Su- trying to chase down um, Hamilton and not succeeding. And then the three-way battle for third on the road between Daniel Ricciardo, Kimi Riker, and Sebastian Vettel. And DRS was not enough a lot, a lot of the times. And, again... That's a debate for its own right, really. I mean, RJ, talk to me on this one. Do you think DRS was 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 about right this one? Because I like to think it was. Honestly, I think we saw more decisive overtaking going into turn six, which was not DRS zone, than we did in the DRS zone itself. Like, you had to be about three-tenths of a second behind the car in front just to have a good run, unless you're, unless you're a mercedes power car passing, like, a honda power car or something. Um, that never happened. That, that happened several times, in fact. Um, <laughs> golly, it was... But yeah, it seemed like the DRS zone, particularly on the back stri- on the long, long, kilometer-long backstretch, really did not work as well as intended. No, I think, I think they've got to pull that further back in future reference. I mean, it was, I think it was too far down to make a difference. DRS was worth about four to five miles an hour more, and that just wasn't enough to get a car alongside and it just I don't know if it's to do with these new cars and the fact they've got more downforce means that, that there's just not enough top speed in these cars to make it work um, I think that's what, I think that's part of the problem though because I we saw very few passes into the hairpin itself and again as you say we saw most of these passes into turn 6 um, down towards the end of the first sector I mean Vettel had to scruffingly dive bomb the crap out of Raikkonen to get past him and then we saw an early contender for pass of the year Golly, with a... this was beautiful <laughs> try and run this down for me 
Yeah, he's going through turn four, coming up over the over the crest of the hill through turn five, and Vettel decides to go around the outside of Daniel Ricciardo into turn six, and they come out pretty much side by side. Vettel's got the extra grip. Ricardo and Vettel actually bang wheels on the road to turn seven, which apparently Ricardo now admits he did it on purpose uh, because Ricardo. Wow! <laughs> wow! Yeah, Ricardo is a troll and a braver man than I will ever be. But um, yes, Ricardo and Vettel were banging wheels on the way to turn seven. Vettel gets the place. So basically, Vettel goes around the outside of Daniel Ricardo. It's on the F1 YouTube account. They're doing a great job with this, by the way. Um, it's on the F1 YouTube account. Go find it if you haven't already. It is a stunning overtake from Sebastian Vettel. An early contender for pass of the year, and like one that completely caught Ricardo out. I do like the fact that Ricardo went on his Instagram after the race and talked about it and said straight up, it's a bit tense between us out there, but I do really enjoy whenever me and Vettel fight, basically. Um, spectacular stuff from Sebastian. Um, an incredible pass. A very dogged performance to come back to finish in second. And again, seemingly in terms of pace, he had something on Lewis Hamilton in the second half of that race. But by that point, the gap was 12 seconds. And yeah, Lewis is not going to lose a 12-second lead on the road like that. Um, so yeah. Hamilton took what ended up being a pretty comfortable victory in the end. Is uh, 50, I want to say 54th, I, I want to so. say. Yeah, by, yeah he's free. By a margin of like 6.2 seconds, which again is kind of misleading because Hamilton was saving some for the very end. Yeah, he was. And, you know, I think, yeah, Merckx, I think, was still to a degree playing a little bit of possum. Um, with, with Sebastian, you know, Seb, like he, he apparently very much enjoyed trying to make Merck, Merckx a little bit nervous towards the end of that Grand Prix, but to no avail, unfortunately. But it was a good time indeed. Um, so let, let's talk about some of the other stuff that came out this weekend. Let's talk about Carlos Sainz. Uh, <laughs> this kid is something special. Um, the only guy in the in the entire grid that had the stones to start on the super soft tyre and not the intermediate. It, it was a rough start. He had no traction coming off his grid slot. Yeah, he um, almost about stalled it. When you watch some of when, some of the onboards of people like Matt's Verstappen, I think Sainz was still like crawling out of his bots. Yes, it was. He like the, the track was still pretty wet down that straight. And again, it's really I think it's it's it's, it's blotchy because that Shanghai straight has got two bridges over overlooking the track, so you've got like. A couple of dry patches, but then it's all wet around the outside. It throws you off. It throws the engine off a little bit as well. But yeah, Carlos had no grip at the start of the race. Um, he, he he spun it in the early goings as well through turns three and four. Actually banged into that inside apex wall at turn four. And luckily the car was not damaged. He was able to continue. But the first period of the race, King, he's, he's keeping up with the lead in five. It was ridiculous. Yeah, he was keeping up with the leading five. If if he kept on that pace with those tires, he really could have been a like a contender for maybe you know a top five finish, maybe a podium. Yeah, like tremendous pace from Carlos Sainz, and again a, a a seventh place finish from a recovering that from a miserable start. I, Carlos Sainz might be the best driver in the field right now. That's not in that big six bubble that he's in. He's seventh in the championship after that. Seventh place finish um, for Toro Rosso out there, but God, what an outstanding drive from Carlos Sainz Jr. there to 
to, to finish in seventh place, all things considered. And a very brave call. And I'm glad that in this case, Fortune favoured the brave in, in Carlos Sainz. And yeah, just an overall great perform- great performance, all things considered. Um, really, really great stuff indeed. Um, King, just how good is this guy? <laughs> uh, incredible. Like, there's a reason I voted for, for Driver of the Year last year. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, now I can kind of see why you were pushing so hard for him to, to for him to, to win the Motorsport One One Driver of the Year status. <coughs> I, I see it now. He's, he's he's really really good. Like RJ, you, you gonna you gonna adopt him as your new man's now? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I pretty much Carlos Sainz is fantastic. You know who did not have a fantastic day? Anybody from Finland? No, <laughs> anybody. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen finished about 40 seconds adrift of his teammate, and now there are rumors and speculation and very reputable sources that Ferrari are having talks. Talks about his future, perhaps. They're not going to come to nothing. Valtteri Bottas did a Roberto Guerrero and spun under the pace laps trying to warm his tires up and finished sixth. So it was still productive. It just wasn't great in the context of what their teammates did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, oof. like, as you said before we went on air, RJ, like, isn't it kind of funny that for once Ferrari will almost yell that for not issuing team orders? Yeah, yeah. Ferrari, the team who has always been demonized for their use of team orders in cases like Austria 2002, Germany 2010, and now they're getting shit because they don't tell Kimi Raikkonen to be the number two guy and get out of the way of Sebastian, who is faster than him. Exactly, it's 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 a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing, but not a good day to be finished. Valtteri Bottas as well spinning the car out while warming up his tires under the safety car. That's a first. I've not, I can't remember the last time that's happened in F one. King, have you got anything on this? You're the historian around here. <laughs> um, didn't that happen just last year? When was this? Uh, one Romain Grosjean. Oh, yes, at Brazil. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh my god, how did I forget that? Except it didn't, it, <laughs> it ended much worse. Botas at yeah, least. Yeah, it ended much worse for Grosjean. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he didn't even take the start, did he? Nope. Yeah, it, was, no. it was on the formation lap, wasn't it? Yep. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Ooh. Right. I wanted some more positive performances. Kevin Magnuson representing America's team and finishing eighth. Finishing eighth. I like that. Um, basically, at at this point, like Magnuson has become like the representation of Haas. At this point, like they're the plucky guys. They always are. Great result from K Mag there. Some some good overtaking in there from Magnuson as well, and some confidence stuff. It's. It's nice to see Haas in the points, for sure, and um, hopefully this, this happens more frequently. I mean, Grosjean was never really going to score points from his position. Unfortunately, he was um, given a five-place grid penalty in qualifying for essentially not slowing down during Giovinazzi's crash, although Inspector Clouseau himself pointed out on this telemetry later on in the day that, no, I did actually slow down during those yellow flags, so... Um, God knows on this one, quite frankly. Anyone, anyone got any better ideas? Nah, <laughs> uh, I mean he he slowed down. I wouldn't say it was enough, considering it was a double yellow flag. He wasn't 
prepared to stop. Still, yeah. I mean, it could be worse. You could be Nico Hulkenberg, who finished 12th after getting a five-second penalty for overtaking under a virtual safety car, and then another 10-second penalty for overtaking under the real one. <laughs> God damn it, Hulkenberg. Uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he was having such a good weekend as well. I mean, he, he had qualified, I think, in seventh place. He did a fantastic job in quality, bringing Renault into Q3. Shout out to you, Jody and Palmer. Um, but yeah, it was a great weekend for Hulkenberg, and then it just didn't happen in the race for some seemingly, you know, seemingly yeah. basic penalties that he missed there. A really unfortunate one for Hulkenberg, unfortunately. Um, shame, but um, uh, should we talk about Honda a little bit here? Oh, buddy. Oh, I feel like Honda is going to become a recurring segment in this ep- in this episode of Motorsport One Hundred and One. <laughs> Honda and technical failures. <laughs> yeah. Seems, seems that way. I mean, this was like McLaren are now 0 for 4 for race cars finishing so far this season. That's not promising. And Fernando Alonso was having a good race up until this point until, you guessed it, his car broke down. And Stoffel Van Dorn is still not able to do a darn bit of nothing. Yeah. It's a shame. Like Nando was, I think, running in about seventh place when his engine conked out. It was, it was Valtteri Bottas that was on the onboard, and you could just see the speed difference coming down the back straight. He blew past Fernando Alonso. It was like an uh, LMP1 car trying to pass like a Mini Cooper on the front on the Molson straight at Le Mans. It was bad. It was bad. Um, there's no way of getting around it. The, the speed difference was palpable. For, like Another example was in qualifying where Verstappen had engine management problems in Q1 and got knocked out in Q1, and his speed trap speed was still the same as Fernando Alonso's. Oh, dear. It's it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. It's 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 a darn shame that Nando is so badly affected. Um, it's like Honda have actually gotten worse since last year. It's like, like towards the end of last season they were fighting for top six finishes, and now they're back to seemingly bottom bottom level points at best, but also a crippling reliability issue. <sighs> They're certainly not as slow as they were back in 2015, but the reliability is back to 2015 levels, and that's not a compliment. <sighs> like, I I, I I, can almost relate to the Fernando Alonso audience. Um, it's like, because we, I think secretly we all kind of want Fernando to be up there because his ability is still there in fits and spurts and we see it like again his phenomenal starts his level of confidence is yeah I watched his qualifying lap in Australia and it was practically flawless he could not get any more out of that car if he tried but you can see he's losing so much on the straights and oh like Maconda are still so far off where they need to be and yet he still was on for a good points finish until the engine conks out again. Another fuel pressure problem. Same with Stoffel Van Dorn. So again, as we as we say, a double DNF for McLaren for the second consecutive race. Um, and yeah, as it stands right now, bottom of the constructors' championship, which is just worst case scenario for what was being touted as like the year for McLaren Honda. New owner, new team, new bunch of figureheads within the team, and this is where we're at right now. It's uh, not promising. Uh, to say the least. Anything else you guys want to mention from the Grand Prix in general? Hmm. Hmm. 
Well, I would say was I would say that Australia was probably a really enjoyable race because we got to see Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari genuinely take the fight to Mercedes. But on the whole, I would say that the Chinese Grand Prix itself was a more interesting race in terms of producing battles for meaningful positions, in terms of giving us genuine overtakes. I mean, there still weren't that many, but the ones that we did have were very impactful. We had a great battle for third place at the very end with Verstappen holding off Ricardo, which was very, very well measured. Very tense, yeah. Verstappen doing what he did have to do to hold off the, the rampage in Daniel Ricardo behind him. And of course, if that race is three laps longer, Bottas and Raikkonen are in play as well. So who knows what could have happened towards the end of the race. If that race was maybe three or four laps longer, then who knows? But um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think China will, will, I think will hold up better in the long run over Australia as a, as a quality of Grand Prix. I think Australia was basically the same race you've always seen, but with a red car in front and not a silver one. Um, but there is so much hype around this potential Hamilton Vettel title fight. Now they're both dead level in the championship with 43 points each, a win and a second between them so far. And, Hamilton is all in on this. Like, I don't know if you've seen some of the quotes, but he's saying that you know he, he hasn't got any more respect for a driver other than Sebastian than anybody else, which is funny, really, a lot, because the that seems to change what it is. Like, well, I wonder what Nico Rosberg's feeling right now. You know, the last guy who beat him. <laughs> when he's talking about the level of respect he's got for Sebastian, and you know they, they, they seem to get along and have a l tremendous amount of respect for one another, um, which is, you know... Something that, you know, you, you can weigh up for yourselves, but it, it was very interesting to see that, uh, you know, the level of mutual respect. They're, they're hugging it out in the paddock afterwards. They're joking with each other a lot. It's a very different sort of potential title fight than we got last year where it was, you know, it was Hamilton versus Rosberg round three. It was a, There was a lot of tension in the air, and you could kind of see that the relationship between the two of them had deteriorated. It was more of a business relationship where these two they seem to genuinely enjoy each other's company and um they play off each other quite well so king when does this go south <laughs> <laughs> when does it go south um uh when there's actually you know on track battles because if there's on track battles there's gonna be off track battles yeah like it's, it's gonna be like i don't like like lewis i don't like your helmet design <laughs> I don't like your four years of Red Bull dominance. It was a year and a half, damn it, Mr. Mercedes. And next thing you know, we, we get fisticuffs. We get I don't like, like that you're not on social media. I don't like that you use it too recklessly, Mr. Sweatpants Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know how this is going to end, and it's probably not positive. Um, but hey, for now, it's kind of cool. I must admit, I, I, I do like the fact that Hamilton and Vettel are, are two guys that have come from two very different walks of life. And, you know, they, like, Vettel is, as we know, he's the quiet, he was the, he was the quiet country boy growing up, and, you know, quite reserved, quite mild-mannered, big thing for British culture. But, you know, keeps a lot of himself to himself, whereas Lewis has been, like, the showpiece, like, almost like Floyd Mayweather sort of figure for F1 for the last three or four years. Like, Merckx has given him this chance to cut loose and basically, you know, be the brand guy that, um, you know, is, like, the, the, the number one popularity figure in F1. And seeing them come together like this, um, you know, Vettel driving for his dream team, Hamilton driving for the team that's allowed him to become the most popular guy in the sport, probably since Schumacher. So, 
who knows how this, how this plays out. I mean, we God could only hope that Ferrari really is this good. I'm starting to think that it is. Um, it, it looks like they've got something here. It's going to be a matter of narcotic Dre. How is your narcotic level running? It's a it's running at a solid seventy five percent. I mean, I wasn't mad that we finished second. I think that was a good recovery, all things considered. I think the win was definitely on the table. If if Giovinazzi doesn't bin his car, um, the qualifying result was 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 nice. I mean, the fact that we were less than two tenths off arguably the greatest qualifier ever in what's still a ridiculously fast car is. Good. I, I mean, I, I can't begrudge that. I mean, there's a lot of positives to take away from Ferrari this weekend. Like, especially in the case of Sebastian, who again drove that race about as well as he could have done given the circumstances. So, like, I'm still good. Bahrain, I think we'll, we'll know a lot more. Um, again, like I said it before on on the blog I put on motorsport101.net, that this race didn't really tell us anything we didn't already know. Like. We know that Dirty Air is bad. We know Ferrari is faster than Red Bull on paper. And Lewis Hamilton was unchallenged for pretty much the entire Grand Prix. He, he didn't have a threat for, for throughout. Verstappen just didn't have the legs to keep it going with that Red Bull. So, as it stands, I'm still, I still need a bit more clarity as to just how fast this Ferrari is. I think it's on a level in terms of race pace qualifying it looks like there's still maybe a couple attempts behind and that might be key with the lack of overtaking potential in f1 right now so if Merckx has still got the ultimate car in terms of real world pace then it could still be tricky but if Vettel can steal a pole or two along the way and you know win another three or four more rounds we can have a serious talk about this um so yeah I think Will that just about do it for us talking about China? I think so. Yeah, I yes, I so. think so. Yeah, it was a good race. And on one last note, Force India got ninth and tenth. Boys, that boys did it. So wonderful. So blessed. Yeah, I, I noticeably, Okan was very impressive out there. For his only, like, for a guy that's got less than ten career races under his belt, Esteban Ocon is the real deal. I'll say that. I'll say that. Yeah, he he was one of the he was. I mean, he isn't a true rookie, but he was one of the rookies that you know actually seemed to not really put a foot wrong, and it paid off. Yeah, he was. Yeah, because yeah, because all the rookies had bad races. We'd mentioned Giovinazzi crashing twice in the weekend, Stroll getting punted off in a racing incident, and Van Dorn just being stuck in his little McLaren Honda with its engine that sounds like rocks in a dryer. (laughs) and on that note I think we'll leave China and head to the beach Long Beach specifically So let's talk about IndyCar. IndyCar had its, the second round of its championship, the Grand Prix of Long Beach. And uh, I don't like that looking at this set list, I see right here in front of me, the first bit of point that RJ mentions with a winky face, quote-unquote, 
Did you know that Long Beach is the Monaco of the IndyCar calendar? It's true. It's the Monaco Grand Prix <laughs> of the IndyCar Series calendar. Uh, King, did you happen to know that other than the Indy 500, Long Beach is the second biggest race of the IndyCar calendar as well? Yes, yes. I, I, I did hear that a number of times on the NBC broadcast. I mean, I personally, I don't agree with that, but sure, sure. Definitely. I'm going, tradition. I'm going to smack you too. Silly, like <laughs> it was Simon Pagano that set this off and Cook brought it to my attention. That Pagano said, "Oh, this is like the Monaco of, this is the Monaco of IndyCar," and I'm like, "Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, you." <laughs> yes. I, most people know how I feel. I'm not a particularly big fan of Long Beach, to say the least. Like it's like it's it's no, just no. I, I like it. Yes, it's a it's a track that is very devoid of like on track passing opportunities, but it's a just a beautiful damn setting it's a nice place i'll say that much it's a nice location then again so is monaco you know how i feel about that shit too <laughs> <laughs> yeah silence that's what i like to see anyway hedio castro never started the race on pole um it it was it was another another former long beach pole sitter in the past they mentioned this a lot how you need the experience of long beach you know you got to get through all these guys that have qualified on pole at long beach before and it was helio that came out on top um simon pagino was forced to start from the back after he was essentially disqualified for ironically blocking his own teammates qualifying lap simon this was not the plan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, there's no way that a French driver on a street course where it's tough to pass could ever come from 22nd and last on the grid to win it, right? Yeah, that, that has never, no, never, never happened heard before. Of it. Never heard of such a thing. Uh, so, Elio Castroneves uh, takes pole position for this race, and... Uh, <laughs> just sinks just sinks all the way down to like sits by the time they get to turn four which precipitates the first major event of this race uh something that we have uh, come to disagreements with on the motorsport 101 office we do have an office building it is yes. lavishly appointed Yes, it's got a. F- yes, we 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 don't know where it's located, but it does exist, and it has a fridge. It's great. Um, so, Will Power and Charlie Kimball are coming out of the fountain side by side, coming towards turn four, and well, both guys are pretty much side by side. Somebody should have backed off. Kimball basically turns into Will Power. They collide. Kimball's in the wall and is out of the race. Willpower has to recover, but he's essentially a lap down by that point. So yeah, Power's out of contention for the second race in a row through something that probably wasn't his fault. And Kimball is, well, Kimball, to say the least. Um, yeah, everybody was very mad at Charlie Kimball, but I do want to. I want. I do want to take the point of NBC Sports uh, writer Tony DeZeno that. Has a has a lap one turn four pass at Long Beach ever worked? Depends how many people have tried it. Um, very uh, apparently a few <laughs> people have tried it, and it has not gone well. And this one was no exception. I don't like if you're willpower. Why on earth would you back up in that scenario? Uh, I mean, I, I guess you gotta go for all the positions that you can, but I know that there are other corners on the track where you can more did, easily did, make the move. Did you just paraphrase Ayrton Senna to defend your man, Kimball? 
Um, look, it's it's been a rough couple of days. <laughs> it's come to this, Mister O'Connell. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's pretty much how I justify all my tactics in traffic. If you're if you're no longer going for a gap that exists on the on the interstate, you're you're no longer a, a commuter. And then the whole interstate collapses on itself, Atlanta. But um, like like, like RJ is so salty about this. The set list itself literally reads: Will Power attempts a zero percent overtake on Charlie Kimball with expected result. Zero percent, RJ. Really, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it, would you say it was like a? I would say maybe a ten percent. Oh, maybe stop. 10%. Stop. I'm not even a Charlie Kimball fan. I don't care whether you're a Charlie Kimball fan or not. You're talking crap right here. You and I both know that's not a 0% pass, and it's willpower. You think he's backing off in that scenario? I wouldn't I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't no. have backed off. <laughs> no, but did the race ended badly for both of them. Yes, okay. because Kimball shouldn't have turned in. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, it was in the end, it was kind of self-penalizing for Kimball as well because he doesn't even complete a single damn lap. Yep, he's out of the race after that. Power was able to continue, but again, had to pit for damage, so he was effectively out of contention anyway. So yeah, and this is to be fair, this is like the second time in four races now that Power and Kimball has collided, and Power labeled Kimball, and I quote. The most dangerous man on the racetrack. <laughs> oh dear! Like, like King is Kimball starting to get a rep, starting to get a reputation here now. It looks that way because he. I mean, I mean, a reputation with just Will Power because I mean it effectively cost him a championship last year. True. <laughs> oh dear! I mean, I like Kimball, but this is happening a bit too frequently now. Where it's like it's like, well, Kimball, what are you doing? Like, he should have, he should have backed off. Charlie, Charlie, buddy. You can't bake cookies and you can't defend passes either. You just, 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 this is terrible. It's terrible news. Oh, and, and to answer Danny Brennan's question on the air as to whether or not I would make an adjustment to Charlie Kimball's nickname on this show, my executive decision is final. Kimball will maintain his slightly above average uh, teammate name, or nickname in this case, until further notice. For now. That's under review. <laughs> Wait and see how that goes. But, um, Mr. O'Connell, it wasn't a good day for one particular team, was it? <sighs> no, it wasn't. Before we get into that, I want to talk about strategery, because we had a whole lot of it. Um, early on in the race, it was going to be very apparent that it was going to come down to teams trying two-stop strategies, uh, going longer on their stints and having ad- advantage on track position versus teams trying three-stop strategies and therefore being able to run faster for shorter sprints at a time. Um, in the middle stages of this race, you had a couple drivers that were on two-stop strategies, Ryan hunter Ray, Alexander Rossi, and James Hinchcliffe. And then a few guys that were on three-stop strategies like Scott Ditson, Simon Pagano, who was just charging up through the field like a bitch from 21st. Golly, yep. Joseph Newgarden was trying three stops. Sebastian Bourdais was trying three stops. Um, and things might have worked out for the likes of Hunter Ray and Alexander Rossi. But on lap 14, Marco Andretti uh, breaks down his uh, his race. His chances of winning the race uh, tanked harder 
than his former primary sponsor, H.H. Gregg, which is now bankrupt. No, Snapple Man! <laughs> it's Not okay. Snapple he's, Man! He's still got Snapple, so nobody really thinks anything of it until about lap set 62 of the race. And then somewhere in the Boston metropolitan area, and as well as and as well as Chin Chattanooga as well, a loud distress streaming could be heard as Alexander Rossi breaks down, having had a chance to win at Long Beach and starting fifth, breaks down with the same electrical issue that affected Marco Andretti's car. I, I love the show notes where it says, not pictured, Sarah throwing her TV off the tallest dumps in Boston in frustration. <laughs> and, and Boston spelled B-A-H-S-T-O-N. Boston pronounced Boston uh, spelled yeah, phonetically. Boston, Boston spelled phonetically. Yes. Like and, yep. and then, <laughs> the tallest dumps in Boston. <laughs> and, then, and then 15 laps later, Takuma Sato breaks down. And then the following lap, Ryan Hunter-Ray, who's led 28 laps also breaks down with the same issue. We have all four Andretti Hondas out of the race with pretty much the same issue. That's unbelievable. Like, how do you write something like that? That is... Like, that's Michael Bay levels of crazy shit. I mean... <laughs> I Shout out to friend of, the Zoe, friend of the show, Zoe Hamilton, who is a mad Andretti fan, and just tweeted me just despondent tears after after all four andretti suffer engine problems i mean that's like a one in a million shot right there for that to actually happen i just i just despair i i, I don't even know how that could I, even be a I thing i think the i think the faces of michael andretti on the pit bots as he realizes what happened that that pretty much sums <laughs> up the move of anybody who is a supporter of andretti autosport or any one or several of their drivers all Brian Hurts are also yeah, sport. <laughs> yeah. Especially knowing, considering that two of their cars had a legitimate chance to win, and Hunter Ray led a third of this race. Ugh, just... Honda are miserable. Honda make me miserable in everything. It's just... Ugh, no, no fun. No fun at all. Oh dear, but yeah, all Andretti's don't make it, but this does benefit one guy we'll talk about in a minute, but it didn't benefit... Um... A certain Scott Dixon. Tell us more, RJ. Yeah, no, it didn't. So Dixon is on his three-stop strategy, and he gets held up in traffic um, for the second safety car period of the race, uh, brought on by Rossi breaking down on lap 62. Um, The safety car period goes a bit long because apparently they had found some debris on the race course. Um, this means that Scott Ditson is spending less time uh, being able to cut through the traffic in front of him because he's got a few lap cars ahead of him to get to get between him and the and guys like Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray, who was still in the race at that time. Uh, guys like Joseph Newgarden were right behind him as well. Um, Ditson had Ditson was not able to get his way through the field, and if you really want to or... know more, you should ask. Scott Nitson's significant other, Emma Davies Nitson, who, to her credit, is sticking up for her mans and, <laughs> and not really being afraid to show it. Not one this, bit. This, this is what I like to call the, uh, I call this the Aisha Curry section of the show. Um, <laughs> or, or the tale of Scoot and the Salt. The tale of Scoot and the Salt, the tale of Emma Davies Nitson defends her mans. 
um, with an S at the end, of course, because it's part of the phrase. But uh, I will. I, 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 she's since deleted these tweets. But very big thank you to Zoe Hamilton again for actually screen grabbing them and sending them to me on Twitter. See, Zoe, I love you. Thank you very much for supporting the show. And Here be sure to a- listen to the Grid Girls. Absolutely, Wee. She's a regular contributor on there on the website as a writer and as a contributor on the show itself. Go listen. She's great. Um, so, here is, a, here is a dramatic reading of some of Eva Davies Dixon's tweets during that race. Start? There's no debris. Dear me. <laughs> Start? With five exclamation points. Joke! More exclamation points. Let's have the, young, the longest yellow in history. For no reason. It was some... only six laps. <laughs> and it goes, like, somebody tweeted the saying, hey now, they have to pick up that last plastic bag. And her response was, jokers, embarrassing. This would never happen in NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I've, I've, got, I've, I've got more. He goes... IndyCar, she she, she, she her tweeting directly at the IndyCar account. IndyCar spends so much time making up the race, let the drivers run, gone has the days of racing, now it's all controversy. Shame on you. (laughs) It's like, I'm wondering, what is is her home country going to disown her? (laughs) Like, when are Wales going to turn their back on her at this point? (laughs) <laughs> like, that's all I want to know because like at this point I'm willing to just like completely just like vacate the premises like there's more by the way like somebody tweeted that tweeted that with at Dixon's at going Dixon needs to just run his race and not worry about what he can't control so true thumbs up emoji uh... <laughs> there's more Scotty was on a two stop but doesn't trust them not to throw a caution after the last race hashtag playing it safe Hashtag got screwed last race. What? <laughs> yeah, um, this is and, a recurring theme. And uh, I have to say as well, there's one more because the IndyCar Twitter account actually responded to Emma and a couple of others by saying, nah, we just typically try to clean up oil on the racetrack for the safety of our drivers. <laughs> wow! Ooh, just just the ooh, just the swat down, the swat down from IndyCar, and then and then Emma's response was, "Oh please, whatever." And uh, wow! <laughs> so, uh, um, I have to say publicly on the air, Scoot, if you're listening, which you know I hope you are, come get your woman's, please, like this, like. Because, King, do you remember the NBA Finals last year when Aisha Curry yes. was quickly becoming, like, America's new sweetheart? Like, you know, oh, yes. she, she's mixed race, she's really funny, she's really pretty, she's she's got, she's got a cooking show now, and, you know, she's, you know, the wife of Steph, who was becoming a megastar in the NBA, and then Game 6 of the Finals happens, Steph Curry gets ejected, and his wife, who was in the stands, goes off calling the NBA a ring. And then the the public loving of Aisha Curry died and never recovered. <laughs> oh dear. Um, RJ, what's 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 up with his woman's? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, so we have an interesting end to the race. James Hinchcliffe is out in front, and he's got to hold off 
Joseph Newgarden, who's cutting through the traffic behind him, Scott Ditson, Simon Pagenaud, who'd have a few lap cars, and Sebastian Bourdais, who got hit on the opening lap, had to change rear wings, came back and was second after starting 12th. He might actually win this thing. But he has one more restart to go with like three laps left in the race, and Hinchcliffe, to his credit, he books it. Yep. Two fantastic restarts from James Hinchcliffe at the end of the race there that pretty much shut the door and anyone having a chance to overtake him and win. And as a result, James Hinchcliffe wins his, I want to say, fourth career race. Um, and yeah, I love that in, in, in capital letters on the, on the run sheet, it goes, Hinch wins! We are all hashtag team stop and go. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't an happy face in the world, and I think everybody was really happy for Hinchcliffe after we all know of the awful accidents of last year, um, and obviously the, the the comeback story of Hinchcliffe, and all of a sudden he's second in the championship. He must have had a nosebleed from being this high up. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but look, at you, you know has a, you know has a whole nosebleed for re- being really high up in the standings. Me. Oh, here oh. we go. Go, go. go on, King. Have your moment. Yes, for the second race in a row, I correctly predicted the winner on my fantasy IndyCar team. You know what? Thank you, Hinch. Thank you, Hinch. <laughs> you using my mans, King. <laughs> you using? I don't care. I'm just in the lead of the squad's fantasy IndyCar league, so all is good. I'm sitting at the bottom end of the table. I'm like the Connor Daly of of the of the of our squad's fantasy league so much so much potential and seemingly all the resources in place and yet i'm still trudging around at the back of the grid <laughs> thanks a bunch for making me pick jr hildebrand rj i'm really glad that 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 underrated pick of yours your value pick came through great yeah. job bruh yeah great job uh, fantastic work by me as always although um J.R. Hildebrand was kind of punted off at the last lap of the race, and Mikhail Lotion is not making very many friends. Speaking of, because we talked about Chip Kimball not making good acquaintances with Will Power, Mikhail Lotion has had two run-ins in as many races with Tony Kanaan, and a Lotion's incident with Hildebrand actually hurt Hildebrand's hand. Yep, he will, he he's just come out of surgery as we speak on this podcast on Monday night. There's a Hildebrand had to have surgery on his hand after he injured it in that collision. He seemed to drive over the top of Lotion's car to a degree and couldn't finish. He was his eleventh place was reinstated post race um, after the uh, stewards punished Lotion for his role in the contest. Basically, just basically just stopping in the braking zone completely and uh, stunting Hildebrand's car, not making enough room for him to pass or at least attempt to pass. But uh, yeah, just uh, not not pretty scenes from Velocian. Just kind of just immature driving more than anything else. And it's a shame because it's like we've had bad Velocian come back because we we saw good Velocian towards the end of last season where he was really racking up some good results. And it's like last year now at the start of the season where he was getting into like Sebastian Bourdais and it was like and that caused a lot of salt where that's concerned. And yeah, it's like we've gone back to bad Velocian again. Sad face. Um, yeah. Not good. 
We had some, yeah, so we had James Hinchcliffe winning his first race since the 2015 NOLA Motorsports Park round, which wasn't really a race. Woo! Sebastian Borte finishing second and going to the points lead after multiple races. He's still in the points lead for Dale Coyne Racing. Huh? What a world <laughs> we live in. Joseph Newgarden. The Death Star's going down, guys. Oh, my God. Speaking of the Death Star, Joseph Newgarden picking up his first podium for Penske in third after starting eighth. Scott Nitson would eventually have to settle for fourth, and Simon Paginot going up from 21st to fifth. That was that was astounding. Can we talk Great. about Ed Jones and Spencer Pickett and Sits in eighth? Because, man, man. They Great drives. Yeah, Ed Jones was putting on the moves, the reigning Indy Lights champion going from 13th on the grid to 6th, and Spencer Piggott on a three-stop strategy going from 19th up to 8th place. Also, Spencer Piggott had the greatest sponsor ever, Instagram star Loki the Wolf Dog. There were many photo ops <laughs> to be had. This is Spencer. He's a very uh, good young driver. 12 out of 10, heckin' good time. Please give him a seat in the 500. <laughs> He's a good driver, Brent. <laughs> yes and in between jones and pickett carlos muñoz uh finishing seventh we've talked about the struggles of aj point enterprises but that result seems to be a positive breakthrough for the team yep aj Foy needed a break and um i'm glad carlos was a bit more representative i mean to finish what second of the chevys that's well, further chips behind Pageant. That's a pretty darn good result. A shame team, a shame teammate Connor Daly was uh, caught with a throttle problem. He was he was never really in the mix. So uh, Danny Brennan's misery continues. Sorry, Danny. Uh, <laughs> but uh, ninth still has magnificent hair, but dropped yes. eight places from where he started. But he still has magnificent hair. It's very important details. We can't miss that. Good man, RJ. T-shirts and, in the mail. And of and of course, <laughs> Graham Ray Hall. Dre's boy finishing 10th to round out the top 10 finishers. Whose boy? <laughs> um, yours. Yours, obviously. J.R. Hildebrand in 11th after the last lap contact him. ahead of Mikhail Lotion in 12th. Will Power in 13th uh, recovering decently. Matt Shilton having an anonymous race in 14th ahead of Tony Kanan, who was caught up in the contact with the Lotion. Connor Davely was the last car running in 16th. Uh, the non-finishers in order. All four Andretti cars. Ryan Hunter Ray, Takuma Sato, Alexander Rossi, Marco Andretti, Charlie Kimball finishing 21st and last after completing only three corners. <sighs> Overall, what did you guys make of the race? I thought it was. Uh, a... Yes, solid for Long Beach. I thought it was really solid for Long Beach Grand Prix. I liked it as well. I thought the strategic battles were good. It took a while for the race to get going, but especially on the last couple of restarts, it got going. And of course, we I think a lot of people will be very happy at the end result. I'm just sad I'm not going to Barber this year. I'm just me watching the race at home, feeling sad that I can't be there. Oh, RJ, we'll have a good laugh on race car Twitter, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just not the same it's not the same as being there being there on the taking multiple rides on the ferris wheel just to see all those passes in like the in like the hairpin section uh, we're gonna have ray hall drive into another car again it'll be great <laughs> and daily causing havoc yay my favorite part 
So, RJ, this is this is now your new segment on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we have is, we have a new segment on the show. Um, this is at least a one race trial run, so let's go with it. We're going to be talking Super GT, which kicked off its season this weekend. So King, here we run. go. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, run? I got through about half of it. I didn't get to finish it before we started recording, unfortunately. I missed out on the watch party. <sighs> uh, I, I haven't gotten to have it just yet. This weekend was the opening round of the 2017 Super GT Series, which you can watch on YouTube at Nismo TV in its entirety with English language commentary. You may hear a certain someone get name dropped at some points throughout the broadcast. Not saying anything. It was Hashtag the opening humble round. brag. Humble <laughs> brag. Ha- gotta get that humble brag. So, um, first race of the season, we have a bunch. We have some returning faces. We have some new driver combinations. We have some new cars in the second category. Uh, but the story of preseason testing was the brand new Lexus LC500. It pretty much cleaned house in preseason testing. There were six test between Okayama International Circuit where they had this weekend's race and Fuji Speedway where they're having the next round on May the 4th. Um, They led all six of those sessions. In two of them they swept the top five. In two of them they swept the top six. Um, But in Saturday qualifying it produced a surprising result with the Autobacks Racing Team Aguri Honda NSX GT taking pole position in a second qualifying session that was interrupted by two red flags. So nobody could really get really a representative lap time in, and it just so happens that the fastest time in the Lord belonged to the Arda NSX, the big orange car with the number eight, which had not taken pole position in seven years. Wow. Yes, and driver Takashi Kobayashi, in his first race back in GT500 after four years in GT300, uh, this was his first pole position since the last time Arda won pole back in the 2010 Suzuka 1000 kilometers. So, with them getting a car in the pole, three cars in Q2, coming off their first winless season in 20 years, you might think, man, things are looking up for Honda. Um, So, we've talked about Honda having some unfortunate mechanical gremlins on this show before. Let's just start on the formation lap. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, no. Right. Um, King, you have seen the first half of this race. Um, how far did the number 17 Keihin NSX of Kodai Sukakoshi and Takashi Kogre get before it broke uh, down uh, on, was did they get one formation lap in? Um, I, can, I, can I use half laps? Can I use half laps? If you're wondering, um, they stalled for a lap on the dummy grid. No. Yes, they yep. did. They were starting from fifth, but surely it couldn't get worse. Um, they extend the per- formation laps to add a third formation lap. And as they're coming around to complete the third lap, the pull-sitting Arda NSX yep. has the same failure. So what they do is they red flag the race and pull all the cars on the front trips to stop. And as they're doing that... The Epson NSX Satoru Nakajima's team. Their car breaks yes. down on the front stretch. With stalls the, on the grid. Stalls on the <laughs> dummy grid in line with the rest of the GT500 cars. So we have not done an official race lap. And already we have <laughs> three Hondas that are out of contention. One that is officially a DNS, and that would be the pole winning car. 
and two more that would lose 8 and 24 laps in the garage, respectively, in repairs. And as it turns out, a fourth Oof. one, the number 100 Rayburg NSS of Naoki Yamamoto and Takuya Zawa, would last only six laps before it, too, breaks yep. down with the same damn failure. Wow. So we shorten the race by a lap, and the race restarts with the number six Wacos Letsis LC500 of Kazuya Oshima taking... Uh, virtually inheriting pole position as Letsis's start first, second, third, and fourth with one Honda remaining in the race. Um, Oshima gets a pretty good start, but five corners in, Nick Cassidy in the newly Red Bull-sponsored number 37 keeper Tom's LC500, um, he makes his case for the Scotty Award of 2007, locks oh, yes. going into the hairpin, and just swipes the position away and starts booking it up front. It was it was tremendous. Um, it was a beautiful I, pause. Oh yes, I did I did uh, clarify with host emeritus Adam Johnson on this, and he rated it a look at this out of ten. Stage voice <laughs> optional. Um, high school. Oh yes, it's a very high score. Um, it was, and from that point on, Letsis just dominated the GT500 class even after pit stops. Uh, the second half of the race, we had a very interesting battle. Cassidy switched drivers to Rio Hirakawa. Oshima gave way to Andre Caldarelli. These two were former co-drivers at one point. They won the race together in 2015 at Okayama, but they were just going at it for several laps, cutting in and out of slower traffic. And Okayama is one of those places where the traffic is so dense. It's such a short lap. The track winds in and in around itself. There's not really a whole lot of places where the GT500 cars can really sweep past. So they get caught in traffic a lot. And Calderelli has so many opportunities to make like a really opportunistic pass in traffic. But Hirakawa is having none of it. He's making that car about as wide as he can. He's going to about the limit of what is acceptable defensive driving, but never over it. And to his credit, he holds on to take the win for Let's This Keeper Team Toms. It's the third time in the last four years that they have won this opening round of the race. And also pretty big considering it's the first race that they've had Red Bull as a sponsor. So Red Bull already getting off to a successful start in Japan and Hirakawa as well as a newly minted Red Bull athlete. Let's just finish first. They finish second with defending champions Heken Kovalainen and Kohei Arate on the dents of Sard Letsis finishing third. They finish fourth. They finish fifth. Oh, come they on finish now. sixth. <laughs> yes, for the first time in the, 20, in the nearly 25-year history of Super GT, there have only been... 12, including this race. There have only been 12 times where a single manufacturer swept the podium in the top class. This is the first time ever where we've had a single manufacturer have all their cars sweep the top six in a row. That's insane. That's remember, absolutely insane. Yes, and remember, <laughs> this is a series built around competitive balance and parity. This was the this is one of the only two races where we don't have success ballast in play, but my God... They were 13 seconds ahead of the closest Nissan GTR in the field, which finished seventh of Sugio Matsuda and Ronnie Kitarelli for the factory Nismo team. They were down in seventh. They were basically a non-factor for pretty much all weekend long. Qualifying 14th, it was a miracle that they got seventh to begin with. And the lone Honda NSX that finished the race in GT500, Team Mugen, back in the series, finishing hey. ninth. Yes, Hideki Muto, Daisuke Nakajima putting in some work and salvaging at least some dignity from 
uh, a pretty bad day at the office for Honda on the whole. Would you, would you agree, King? Uh, yes. Considering I already saw the first half of the race, I already knew it was going to be a terrible, terrible day for <laughs> Honda. So I guess that made it for something. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> so in GT300, we had um, a bit more of a decisive race, but we also had some pretty good battles as well as Good Smile Racing with Team Ukyo. The Hatsune Miku car won its first hey. race in three years with Nobuteru Taniguchi picking up his 17th career win, putting him second all-time in the category, which is pretty astonishing. Remember Taniguchi, inaugural D1 GP Series champion, former street racer, former uh, freelance automotive journalist turned racing driver, and one of the all-time legends of the series. Um... He and Tatsuya Kataoka drove a good race and also gives them momentum going into July where they're going to make their European debut at the 24 Hours of Spa Franker Shop with Kamui Kobayashi joining them as a third driver, which is going to be hype and F. Yes. Are they, are, are they going to be racing the same Mercedes GT3? Um, I believe they're either going to ship the one they have over or they're just going to rent one from another team. But yeah, this is a top-notch squad. Yep. They've been one of the top-notch teams in this category for about seven years. It's amazing that it's taken them this long since they switched from BMW to Mercedes-AMG just yeah. to win the first race. Yeah. Uh, because they'd won two titles with BMW in 11 and 14. And then switched to Mercedes-Benz. Got a bit of a rough start the last two years, but now it seems like they're back on the winning track, which is great because they're a popular team. Everybody loves them, if only for the fact that they've got pretty much an anime-themed car. Yes, if you haven't seen it, yes, you need to. It's bright green, and it's pink, and it's pastel, and it's lovely. Uh, we had a very interesting battle for second in the race, too, that came down to the number 65 Leon Mercedes-AMG of Haruki Kurosawa and Naoya Gamo versus defending series champions Takamitsu Matsui and Kenta Yamashita, newly promoted All Japan of Three champion Kenta Yamashita in the number 25 VVAC Toyota 86MC. Um, the big part of this race in GT300 was strategy. Um, Good Smile Racing took fuel and two tires on their stop, uh, so did the VVAC 86, but the Leon AMG took four tires on its stop, but it could not get around the VVAC 86, which was lighter, it was more agile through the corners, and it was using up its tires um, a lot a lot lighter than the much heavier AMG, which had the straight line speed advantage, it had the advantage of fresh rubber, obviously, but Naoya Gamo and Takamitsu Matsui had a great battle, and keep in mind, they were... They were driving together in the first round of the VLN season for Toyota just a couple of weeks ago, and now here they are slugging out for a podium position. Ultimately, Matsui spins out of second place, giving it to Naoya Gamo and his co-driver Haruki Kurosawa. The number nine Golf Porsche of Jonah Lester and Kiyosuke Mideo getting their first podium in the class, um, taking advantage of that spin from Matsui late in the race. That was pretty impressive considering that Gulf Porsche had only scored two points the year before. And that team had never finished really any better than like lower end of the points. So they've already got their first podium on the board. So that is a great result for Gulf Racing Japan and Pacific Racing. Uh, there was one somewhat frightening moment 
in the middle stages of the race, three-time GT300 champion Morio Nita has a shocker of an incident when he, when one of the broken-down NSXs gets back out on the track, it gets into his blind spot, and his Ferrari just goes front-end first into the inside concrete wall. Uh, it was a heavy, heavy hit, and he actually had to be taken away um, to the infield care center on a stretcher via an ambulance, which was very very frightening yeah, that was like, scary yeah um Yikes. some of these yeah some of the images that i was seeing from fans at the time were incredibly distressing and i was worried but thankfully the driver himself and his team have confirmed that he suffered no serious injuries which was a relief considering that car was just totaled by the time by the time it was all said and done but they're hoping to be back for the next race with that Ferrari, even though it is an expensive repair job, and that is a team with not a lot of money to their disposal. Um, again, if you've not seen this race, um, go out of your way to see it on YouTube at Nismo TV. Subject to geological, see, subject to geo restrictions, of course. But I think most people who are listening that will be able to watch. It's it's a good time. It was an intense race. It had a historic end to it with Lexus taking the first top sit sweep in series history and Nick Cassidy as well becoming the first race winner from New Zealand in the history of the championship so good for him as well um he's been a big promoter of Super GT World ever since I started the blog um he's been mm -hmm. on my he's been on there for interviews as well pretty awesome dude pretty awesome dude indeed one more question I've got so I've not actually seen this race yet myself and I will at the viewing party or whenever it ends up being like, is this, like, Okutama, like, the, the track that was in grid, like, the, the short one? Okayama, it was the home of the F1 Pacific Grand Prix in 94 and 95. Michael Schumacher won both those events. It was under a different name at the time, called TI Circuit Aida, but in the middle of the last decade, it changed its name to Okayama International Circuit. It's a fun track. Um, it's It's got its own fair of share of different speed corners, um... There's a lot of overtaking that goes on, especially as the classes tend to bunch up and you have the slower GT300 cars running with the GT500 cars and you get all these hair, all these batshit insane pass over overtake attempts. Mm. It's great. In interesting, interesting. I'll have to check that out very, very soon. But uh, yeah, we thought we'd dedicate a segment to letting RJ scratch his itch all over our podcast. Delightful. More of that soon, definitely. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, shall we get into the news, people? Yes. News. Sure. News. 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 Right. Breaking news that came in today. Pascal Verline is back in Bahrain. Yeah, we Yay. have Bahrain next week, and Pascal Verline says he is fit to drive. I hope he's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like he, they say he's coming back. I, I, I just have to wait and see. I pretty sure like i like if if he has to pull a dustin johnson let it let it be like he gets in the car and he's like i can't do this oh dear i i, I hope it's not when it's, i hope it's not like a straighter where he drives it realizes it's still not good enough and then he ends up putting out again that'll be pretty brutal but uh, I'd, I'd say keep giovanazzi in the suitcase just in case um probably wouldn't hurt or better yet keep him in china and bring tatiana along hey could get everybody in this everybody gets a turn in the car this year that'd be pretty cool um this is an interesting story yeah Esteban, would, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah go on yeah sorry yeah esteban ocon has been given uh sorry actually he almost got a reprimand 
for missing the national anthem ceremony. Now, this is interesting because apparently this has already happened once before. Sergio Perez and Daniel Ricciardo was given a reprimand earlier this season in Australia for skipping the national anthem ceremony. Now, what was interesting is, according to the F1 Fanatic website, Esteban Ocon was in the middle of an interview with Canal Plus, the French providers of Formula One. Um, he was in an interview with them, and as a result, he didn't get to the front of the grid for the podium, for, for, the, sorry, for the national anthem ceremony until the last few seconds. And he was later basically given a severe slap on the wrist and not a reprimand for it. This is interesting. Um, now, we, we, we talked about reprimands a little bit last year because Lewis Hamilton very nearly got three. Um, the, the new rules mean three reprimands mean that to you a 10-place grid penalty over the course of a season. Um, but... I know a lot of people were, were meant on Twitter were mentioning, oh, well, you know, it's it's crazy. You shouldn't be given a, a grid penalty for this. The, the rules state that at least two out of the three have to be driving related before you get a grid penalty. So you can't yeah. you can't just miss three national anthem ceremonies and get a, get a grid drop. No, that's not how it is. Um, but Though if, if you ask certain people on Twitter, they'll tell you that it should be a lifetime ban. How dare he disrespect the anthem? <sighs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Other people would probably enjoy you to do that since it was the People's Republic of China. Ooh. Hmm. Wouldn't it be good wouldn't it be great if we got along with China King? <laughs> oh my god. No? Mm. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But um, luckily, Esteban, luckily, common sense, I think, seemed to prevail on this one. And Esteban wasn't given a reprimand for it, which I think is just silly. I mean, I don't really have a massive stance on whether you should go up for a national anthem ceremony or not. What I will say is, I think it would be better if you just find them a little bit if they missed it, rather than... Yeah, like, like... Yeah, again, like, it's, the rules are the rules, like, they have the rules there, because I'm pretty sure you also get a reprimand if you're, you know, assigned to go to a press conference and you don't go. Like, they're there, you know, for, to, to make sure the sport keeps running smoothly and the sport isn't putting a bad light. Right. I know, but I don't feel like a driver should be punished on track for a protocol mistake. That, that, like a f- which again you can't be you in, in, which be. again luckily you can't be you can only be a one third contributing factor potentially um, so you know I guess that's you know again, again I'm just glad common sense I think prevailed on this one it wasn't really Ocon's fault that he missed it he was being respectful to Canal Plus and gave him a TV interview on the grid and like I said common sense prevailed I'm happy all good also in F1 Coming through today from Autosport, a new safety design was was unveiled. Now we've had the Halo and the Aero screen talk in recent years. We've we have now seen that there is a potential third way, Mister King. Yep, fire up the music. Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield, Nada, Nada, India, Nada, Delta, Nada. Did you have this coordinated? (laughs) No, we didn't. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) Yes, it's the shield. Uh, It's been rendered by Giorgio Piola. Um, Jonathan Noble has reported the story. Um, Rather than the shield being a detachment around the edge of the cockpit like the halo and the aero screen, the solution is more integral to the nose section of the car. 
being much further forward than that of the two ideas already trialed. So while there's nothing really around the cockpit section, it looks like they have just put a big windscreen up above the nose of the car, right above, like, right to about top of the head level uh, yeah, right. from the cockpit. Um, is this a better solution than what we've seen in the past? Is it worse? Is it just a push? I don't I've, know. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm leaning towards me thinking this is worse. I think that shield design is is susceptible to Superman punches, um, to Randy Orton backstage <laughs> politics. Um, no, I'm joking. But it, it's I think the only way it's really going to protect somebody is if a piece of car is like flying at you dead on like in a dead straight I mean line. that that's how most objects come flying at you when you're driving in a car yeah, well like let's put it this way king would you want to put that to the test uh, yeah, I'd be willing to put that up to the test. Stick him in a cockpit, throw a tire at him, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it looks like it'll protect from coming straight at you, but it's not going to come, like, if it comes at you at an angle, which unfortunately is what has happened with a lot of the more high-profile fail incidents of debris intruding the cockpit in the case Indeed. of the late Justin Wilson and Henry Surtees, so it wouldn't have really done anything for those incidents and Hinchcliffe got hit by one two in Indianapolis, where it's come over the head and it's it's struck him on the head from the top. It's uh, so yeah, as much as you know, most objects you could say would would hit you dead on. Unfortunately, recent history suggests otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks more aesthetically pleasing than the other solutions that we've seen. But is that really the way to go? Who knows? Work in progress, you guys. Work in progress. More on that soon. Yeah. Should we talk about IndyCar? Because we've got a couple of kids who got some Indy 500 drives this week. Yay! Yeah, we got Zach Veach running a third car for AJ Foyne Enterprises. This was announced earlier this week. Delightful. Jack Harvey, former two-time Indy Lights runner-up, has a drive with Andretti Autosport in the fifth car. And there's already talks that he could be the next Andretti Autosport rookie to make a big impact the way that Carlos Munoz did in 2013. And Alexander Rossi the year before. And I believe it was yesterday we learned that Carlos Munoz, uh, excuse me, Gabby Chavez. Yeah, Gabby, the other Colombian. The other Colombian. Right. <laughs> Gabby Chavez, former Indy Lights champion, who actually defeated Harvey for one of his titles. Um, Gabby Chavez has arrived with a new team, Harding Racing, in car number 88. So that is three more young drivers, each getting a chance to run the 500 this year. And the grid's the grid's filling up. Yeah, it's, it's filling up real quick. Yeah. It's filling up real quick. Goes alongside Pippa Man being confirmed last week as well for, for for Dale Coins. That's also good to hear as well. And um, I still hope there is room for someone to take on Townsend Bell because I need my quota of flat caps for the year. <laughs> Bring back Townsend Bell, y'all. Bring back Townsend Bell. I'm getting that hashtag going. Bring back Townsend Bell. <laughs> right. We need him back for fast lap times, pit lane incidents, and fighting luchadors. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Undefeated. I'm, Undefeated I'm, in the ring. I'm here for all of this. We need Townsend Bell up in here. Yes, please. Thank King. You, good night. King, um, what else is happening in Bahrain this week that we should know about? 
FIA Formula 2 returns. Yeah. What do you mean, what do you mean, what do you mean so returns? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, GPT, GP3 won't be returning oh, until Spain. Oh, doggone it. I, I messed up my notes. I'm sorry, this is coming out of my paycheck. I gotta forfeit at least 250 exposure. <laughs> it's worth about as much as the Venezuelan Boulevard. It's fine. Excuse well, me. <laughs> well, quickie preview. The favorites are... We we know what team are the favorites heading into this Formula Two season. Prima, it's, yes, Prima. Prima Power Team with uh, the highest finishing returning driver from last season, Antonio Fuco, and last season's reigning GP three champion Charles Leclerc. That's their lineup, and I would say they're the favorites, but it isn't going to be a curb stomp because I would say. Uh, Russian time racing with uh, L- with Luka Giotto and uh, Artem Markalov. They're going to be, you know, oh very... God, I forgot Artem Markalov bringing the chaos. <laughs> yes! yes! Markalov oh, bringing the chaos. The hammer. The I, I can see returned. Markalov and Giotto making a run for that title. There are going to be some rookies there that are also going to make a yeah. pr- Lucas, impression. Louis Stellatraz is running for racing engineering this season, and although he won't be classified yep. as a true rookie, this is still his first full season, and he's got... He's got potential to really yeah. kind of redeem his family's legacy in Formula One. Also, Alexander Albon, who was pretty awesome in GP3 and Formula 3, is moving up with ART Grand Prix alongside Nobuhara yes. Matsushita. Oliver Rollins moving up to Dams alongside good Canadian boy Nicholas Latifi. Uh, we've yes. also got That's some... also a team to look out for because they've been really quick in testing. Yeah, oh my and Oli Rollins, Rollins a quality driver. Oh, goodness. Nick DeVries is moving up from GP3 into the Rapats team alongside veteran presence Johnny Chicago Jr. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and he's not and the also, only veteran presence back. Yep, Sergio no. Canamasis is back. <laughs> no, Sergio Canamasis is back. Oh, but we a, haven't gotten to the best part. Stefano Coletti. Stefano Coletti is back Him? at Campos Yes, Yeah, Racing. Stefano Coletti has returned to the penultimate category. <laughs> yes, this is the same Stefano Coletti who, just two years ago, was racing in IndyCar full-time. And who pretty much ruined Graham Rahal's chance of a title. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, uh, and we, we do have Sean Galal at Pertamina Arden with Norman Nato. Yep, we got oh, Sergio man. Sete Camera moving up with MP Motorsport, along with King, Jordan yes, King. Yes, yes, <laughs> Jordan King. <laughs> <laughs> well played there, RJ, well played, well played. Have five, it, it, have five it wouldn't be it, it, it wouldn't be a proper Formula 2 season without me being mentioned at all. <laughs> <laughs> a word? <laughs> five exposure to RJ for the great reference. <laughs> Well played. But yeah, it seems like it's a really stacked Formula 2 grid this year. And like last year, I promised I would make more of an effort to watch this year because last year was arguably the most competitive GP2 field ever seen. You could have had maybe five or six dudes win the title at one point. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all shakes out, and uh, including a Super Draft D nomination, Charles Leclerc in there, one of King's bands up there, yeah. it, it, driving for the, the hometown favorites. That's going to be interesting. Looking forward to seeing how that shakes out. But, uh, yeah, early title picks, you guys? Early title picks. Um, I'm going with the Rook, Charles Leclerc. Um, I'm going with... Because mm, that's a funny thing. I have all the confidence in the world that Charles Leclerc could 
easily take the title. But I mean, I've always been a, I've been a promoter of some guys that have not turned out that whose careers just haven't turned out the way I thought they would. So I'm going with Charles Leclerc, but I'm I'm a little hesitant. Uh, I think he could do it. I'm going Leclerc. I'm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it would be impressive because. Oh God, what was the last rookie to win? Nico Hulkenberg in 2009, and Giovinazzi okay. came so close to doing it. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna go with Ollie Rowland. I think he's he, that experience of winning junior categories before is. He, I think he's. I mean, MP Motorsport has not had the best level of resources over the years, and I know Dams is, is, a, is a much greater outfit in terms of prestige yes. in there to get the best out of people. And Rowland, I think, is a, is a great driver. So I'm gonna go for Oliver Rowland on this one. Was, going uh, Rowland, okay. Uh, uh, going, going for going for you know the compatriot pick. This is. I never do this. This is like this is like. <laughs> Like, so this is this is quite a rare thing. Well, um, well, of course, you know the narr- you know the narrative of uh, bland experience is going to come up. So obviously, you want to you want to put your money on that veteran presence. You want to put it all on Johnny Chicago Jr. <laughs> Johnny, I still have that bet. If Sergio Canamassas ever wins a championship. I have to become a Spanish citizen. Yes! <laughs> I do remember this now! This is the first time I've ever heard of that. That's great. Yes! This, this, uh, that's an old running joke from the from the, from the the pre-reboot era of Motorsport 101. Oh my yes. god. That is... That King has just went deep into the archives on that one. Oh. Because I like I thought... I like... When last season, when Cannon Masses was only like a part timer, I thought, okay, it's dead. It's never going to happen now. Now I hear he gets a full time seat back in Formula 2. I'm like, damn, this can actually happen now. I'm rubbing my hands like Birdman as we speak. It's great. (laughs) Um, What's happening in Silverstone this weekend? We're going to be racing. We're going to be racing for a good chunk of the day, and that may not be the only attraction. It's the World Endurance Championship kicking off at the six hours of Silverstone awarding the ARAC Tourist Trophy. And the FIA... Hashtag, let's get whacked. Yep, ro- rolls get- right off the tongue. <laughs> let's get whacked. Also, European F3 is part of the support bill as well. Woohoo! Yes, European Formula 3 returns. Unfortunately, they will be returning with only five teams on the grid. Huh? Yeah, but, yeah, but they, <laughs> yep, they've got five teams, and somehow they are fielding one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Give him 19 cars. cars. 19 cars. cars. I mean, yeah, that's not as big as it was like two years ago when there were 36 damn cars. But But I mean, again, yeah, again, like the losses have mainly been at the back. Like it's still like mostly cream. Yeah, it's. So how long until an entire race is under investigation again? Uh, it's going to be a long time, because I would say, again, favorites as in any series that isn't Formula 1, Prima Power Team, yep. have rolled up with a literal power team. Yeah, They have, <sighs> like, the, probably the tip of their arrow in their Formula, in their Formula 3 attack is Mick Schumacher, followed Ooh. by Callum Illion, which is like... Oh, and they've also got when, Matt Gunther, who's the highest ranked returning driver, finished second in the championship yes. last season. Those are three guys. That's in Gunther and Islet. You have two guys who can immediately contend for the title. And if Schumacher is as good as his potential says he is, um, he's a strong pick for the title as well. Um, man, it is a uh, whew. 
But I mean, Carlin is rolling up. Carlin is probably my team boys in this series. Oh, they have, uh, yeah, they have uh, Jake Dennis. I like him. Uh, they have Lando Calrissian Norris. <laughs> Lando Norris, who I believe still follows me on Twitter. He, they've got the double eagle as well. Yeah, the double eagle, Ferdinand, heir to the throne, Habsburg. Ferdinand, oh, Von Keith Amagolato, Antal Bantam, Leonard Von Habsburg. Like, like, so King, this really is your man's, isn't it? Jeez. Yeah, yeah, Carlin is my team boys in this series. Yep. Van Amersfoort Racing has got some pretty solid hands. David Beckman has potential. Pedro Piquet, Harrison Newey. Yeah, that's two great second generation yeah, I mean, talents right there. Yeah, Van Amsdorf, they're, they're team names. They got they got the names that that draw the attention, especially, I think, Joey Mawson's going to be probably yep. the next big Australian. Yeah, I mean, Har- like, I mean, Harrison's such a name draw. I mean, like, like you've, you've, <laughs> you've got to back him with a name like that. I mean... Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. High Tech GP but, have uh, have a pretty strong lineup this year. They've got the nebula. They have the polarizing Nikita Mazepin bankroll in the team. They've got Ralph Aaron. They've got Tadasuke Makino. They've got Jake Hughes. That's a pretty strong lineup of talent. Yeah, I mean Aaron Makino by themselves probably could like be your team and you could win the championship. Yeah, let's remember Makino, top prospect at the Honda Formula Dream Project. Um, really has kind of jumped Matsushita in terms of like being Honda's next hope for a Japanese driver in F1. Um, Moto Park has Joel Erickson, Marina Sato, and Kevin Andresuri. That's one really standout guy and two lower level prospects. Good going. Good going. Motor Park, they're the team that's happy to be there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of teams that are happy to be there, we unfortunately need to break the news in the World Endurance Championship that Robert Kubica is not taking part with Baikal's racing team as oh. originally planned. They were the only LMP1 privateers and testing in Monza. Ooh, it was bad. Uh, you what get happened? the impression that Colin Cole's team is in way too far over their head. They just didn't get any running, and Robert Kubica decided, right, I'm just going to look for other opportunities elsewhere, pretty much. It had nothing to do with his abilities as a driver. It's just that the right. car isn't there uh, because they yeah. stand no chance of competing against Porsche and Toyota, not with the lineups they have. It's, I mean, yeah, it's regrettably going to be a two-horse race at the top in LMP1, but just between the four cars that they have full-time, the amount of talent that they have concentrated those four cars between the two teams, insane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a shame Golly. about Robert. Again, I, 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 heard, I heard the news about that, but I didn't know the exact reasons why, and I, I feared it was something to do with Robert's physical condition, but again, the fact that the no. car isn't there is probably even worse. Quite frankly, um, it's a real shame. Again, like LMP1 does need more support, but it's just not financially viable right now. And now Audi's gone. We're down to two very similar-looking Porsches and Toyotas each. But as you say, the dro- the level of driving talent from you know Timo Bernard, and of course on the other side you've got Anthony Davidson and Sebastian Buemi. It goes on and on. You have They've Andre some- Lauder in a Porsche. Andre yeah, Lauder I- coming over from Audi, one of my boys. Shit, I forgot. I forgot they got Laura. Yeah, they got yeah. they got Neil Yanni. They promoted Nick Tandy and Earl Bamber up to full time rides. Brandon Hartley's still fast. Toyota Wait, the, still has Sebastian Blemmy, and they got Marmosa the, the gold Tandy's back. 
Yes, the Golden Tandy the go is back, and he's back full-time, and he's running with Andre and Neil. Lit. Lit. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, LMP1 could be so great, but it's basically... Toyota is holding a gun to to the ACO's head, or saying like the ACO want to make LMP1 more cost, like more affordable, so more manufacturers could you know feel the impetus to join. But Toyota is saying you ditch the hybrid engines, we leave. Oh Jesus! Show mm. <sighs> sure, this weekend in World Endurance Championship, we also have the debut of the new LMP2 class. Surprise, surprise, there's only one chassis in the field for this opening <laughs> round of the season, and oh, it's a Corica. Yep. But if you are interested in following it, you've got Nelsinio Pique, you've got Nicholas Pross, you've got Bruno Senna all racing for Rebellion, Alex Lenz in the field for G-Drive Racing, um, Alex Brundle is driving for Jackie Chan DC Racing. Jackie Chan's a team owner, and he's a pretty yep, good one. Jackie Chan. Lit. Oh, God. <laughs> goodness, yeah. So... And Vitaly Petrov is back with Manor. Yay, Petrov. And so is John Eric Vern. Yay! We, we all love that. Yep. I mean, hopefully Manor can do better than what they did last year. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just, just throwing course, that out there. Yeah, and of course the GT battles are going to be fun between the AM Cor AF Corsa Ferraris, who are going to be led... Uh, it's a different era because Gianmaria Bruni has broken his contract with Ferrari and is going to Porsche, but has to sit out until after Le Mans because he broke his daggone contract. Ford are going to be OP as heck at some points, and they've got Poop Durrani in for the first round of the season. Sorry, Poop <laughs> Durrani in for the first round of the season, alongside Andy Prio and Harry Tinkle. Aston Martin have Dunlop tires, and Porsche have a brand new mid-engine 911, so that's going to be fun to see. That yeah, is... if there's any reason to watch the World Endurance Championship, it is for the GT class. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Should we stay in super and uh, sports cars and talk about another race that happened in Long Beach? The Bubba sure. Burger Grand Prix of Long Beach. Uh. <laughs> so, Wayne Taylor Racing win three in a row. Um, it was a weird race. We thought a GTLM car could have won in a subclass outright. Uh, but ultimately, Wayne Taylor Racing and their Cadillac pick up the victory, but Mazda and Nissan do get their DPIs on the podium, so we have three different manufacturers on the overall podium, which is good, considering Nissan and Mazda looked, ooh, ooh, so bad in, um, in, uh, in Daytona Florida. and Sebring. Yeah. <laughs> Just Florida. <laughs> Pretty much. Florida. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, we had, uh, that was originally going to be the story. Um, but late in the race, um, Robert Allen in one of the factory Lexuses triggered a huge pileup in the final lap in the final corner, um, going for a pass that was, uh, would you say it was optimistic? Ambitious. Looking at, yeah. Looking at, the photo <laughs> that we had, looking at the photo that we have up in our Skype chat, um, Allen is going for a gap that is not there at a corner that is not conducive to passing. Um... This led to what happened last night, as of when we were recording this. Sean Rahal, a noted sports car driver um, across multiple championships, had called out Robert Allen for his bad driving, with a, quoting a picture of, of uh, Acura driver Jeff Siegel, who was taken out in the wreck. He quoted this picture with the phrase, um, so this is what happens when a rich father pays for his wanker son's factory drive. 
In so step dead. Sage Karam, uh, former Indy Lights champion, now full-time Lexus driver, sticking up for his teammate and saying, yo, that's not cool, dude. How does Ray Hall fire back? How does Ray Hall fire back? Does he opt to just let it go? No, no, he, he fires shots back. Yeah, I'm gonna find the exact quote right here. One yeah. second. We have seen, we have just seen the stupidest Twitter beef between two of my favorite former Indy Lights drivers who are now sports car racing uh, young stars. Why do yeah. my sons? Have to it, it feel, it feels so. Yeah. It, it feels so American open wheel in a nutshell. Yeah. Where it's like two former guys arguing. About sports cars, because that's their lives now. Sean Ray Hall's response was, I don't take shirtless pictures on Insta Sage, neither do I refer to myself with dollar signs. Don't tell me what's cool, fool. Don't care to see you wreck any more stuff, dude. But I came from short track racing. Don't threaten me with a good time. Sorry, man. Don't need to catch your tires to justify my biceps. Just need to take a shirtless selfie for the social media hero. Golly... And he, he had one, said it's not cool, bro. He, he had one more response on Twitter with an indirect picture of just to win Twitter and go to sleep in London when you don't have the line. Uh. Night peeps enjoyed the laughter and the non-shirtlessness with with yeah. a picture of the of the, the prelude to the accident with the open line of "yup" and an arrow pointing towards the gap that quickly shrinks on him. Yeah. Sean Ray Hall was salty as fuck. Oh <laughs> Golly. Um, this, uh, this led to some discussion of who would win in a fight. Um, now, <laughs> I laid this out in a tweet. The tale of the tape is that Sage Karam is an accomplished amateur wrestler in high school in his native uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. But Ray Hall? Ray Hall's from Georgia. Um, he's ah. raced on short tracks. He has probably gotten into some scuffles on short tracks. And being from nearby Atlanta, he is probably scrapped in a Waffle House parking lot. Just over nothing I don't, at all. I don't know. I don't know. Not not being just a northerner. You know, Pennsylvania is a hard state to be amateur wrestling in. Because that, that state has created some great amateur wrestlers. Oh, goodness. Yeah, like created Kurt One Angle. Kurt Angle, yes. Mm, interesting. <sighs> yeah. Why do but my we sons all, have to fight but, like this? This is like being a Rossi and a Marquez fan and seeing the late (laughs) 2015 season unvelop and the friendship just die right before your very eyes with one swift kick to the shell. Yeah, (sighs) RJ, you can't support both of these men anymore. You know, you do realize that, right? You can't. No, I don't. I don't realize anything until it's too late. No, listen, like... What you're doing right now is basically supporting Manchester United and Manchester City. You can't do it. You can't do it and be taken seriously. <laughs> yes, yes, I can. I've no, always, you can't. I've always grown up being a fan of my hometown Chicago Cubs, my hometown Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> and my hometown New England Patriots. Oh, a word. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just supporting all my faves, all my faves from my hometown who I grew up with. Back on the farm, cheering for when I was little. I'm going to I'm going to super kick you, repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Young I'm, I'm going style. to sell it like Stan. Excuse me, Ty Dillinger. <laughs> uh, uh, just 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 no, just no. I can't stand all this. And as we all know in life, Sean Rahal would win because, as we all know in life, all good fights happen at Denny's. <laughs> all good fights happen at Denny's, and apparently on the public TL on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> 
World Rally fair, Championship. Uh, so just just to be, uh, to be fair, I also back Ray Hall because I'm guilty of this on several occasions. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. I, I I feel for Sage because you know I'll I, I'm that guy who's like, please, bro. It's not cool. It's cool. We 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 appreciate Leave you being so honest about about your um post-trauma stuff and your mental state of mind especially in the last couple years and you're obviously a great talented guy but don't die on this hill stage no it's not (sighs) worth it it's just not worth it sean rahul will fight you (laughs) yeah we've just seen it happen um order it on pay-per-view it will take place from the mecca of combat sports the gold's gym parking lot in temecula california (laughs) (laughs) hashtag meet me in temecula round two (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So, rallying. Terry Neuville and Honda won the Che Guevara Energy Drink Tour de Course in Corsica. Which, I know what you're thinking. Why the fuck does Che Guevara have an energy drink? And why is (laughs) is one of the most infamous socialist figures being associated with capitalism? Sponsoring one of the... God, I don't get this. Yeah, like... Energy drinks is probably, like, the most capitalist venture of the 21st century. It's, it's the new tobacco. Yeah, it's, it's the it's new like, tobacco. It's, it's like Leopard sponsoring the Kiefa team in Murdo 3 with that Leopard energy drink, which we all know exists. Yeah. It's more, it's, like, it, it's more like if Joseph Stalin's, like, democracy, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Stop this nonsense. Right. Um, so, Hyundai wins this fourth round of the championship. So, we've had Sebastian Oje and a Ford win Monte Carlo. We had Yari Mati Latvala win Sweden in a Toyota. We had Chris Meek win by the seat of his pants in Argentina. And now we've had Terry Noeville and a Hyundai win in Corsica. This means that for the first time since 1968, we've had four different manufacturers win the first four rounds of the WRC. Wait, wait, wait. What year? 1986. What was so significant oh about 1986? God. I'm going to guess the Group B era becoming a thing. That was the end of the Group B era, in fact. Yeah, and these close new enough. cars have been widely compared to Group B. They've been calling it the new Group B, which, you know, I think there's fair points to be made about all yeah, these cars. Yeah, they've being... been calling it the new Group B for both positive and negative reasons. Yeah, Yaris on steroids. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's because we've had to cancel a few stages because it's just been too fast to run. But on the other hand, these cars, yeah, they're just a bunch of subcompacts, but they look ridiculous. And now apparently we have some pretty good competitive balance. How long will that last? That remains to be seen. Citroen and Hyundai clearly have fast cars, but they've been bottling it. Oje is clearly the number one driver in rallying, but um, does M Sport and Ford have all the resources to compete in the long term? We'll see. And was Toyota's win in Sweden just a fluke? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows indeed? I've still got to catch up on the highlights of it. Che Guevara yeah, but I, one, <laughs> one thing I gotta say, I've never wanted to drive a Toyota Yaris more in my life. Same here. <laughs> Should we do the mailbag, fellas, and then we get out of here? <laughs>
Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Right, Shawnee F1, Patreon backer. Thanks for support, Sean. He's asked a couple of questions you've already answered on last week's show, like who who replaces Massa and Alonso, respectively. But this is a good one. Which F1 champion had a season that was better than their championship winning season? For instance, even though he won in 2009, in my opinion, Jensen Button's best season was 2011. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that too. Like, it really felt... 2009 felt like it should have been Vettel's year. Like, it... It wasn't Jetson's best year if you look in the whole perspective of things. But, man, I, I'll never forget the, the opening couple of races of the 2009 season. Jensen Button, man. That, uh, that was good times. Mm. I'll put one out there and I'll say that Ayrton Senna's performance in the 1993 season in a McLaren with a with an outdated Ford engine and basically running on a race-to-race contract for the whole season was easily about as, if not more impressive, than his first and second titles in 88 and 90. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah um, I, I would probably put Fernando Alonso's 2012 season above 2005. Oh, yes, goodness. yes. Heck yeah, he was so close. Ha! Um, <laughs> um, good question um, from, from Vic as well. Um, Vic the Rainmeister on Twitter asks, f one social media use has improved massively since the Liberty Takeover. What would you guys like to see for it to get even better? I have to say I completely agree. Like The F1 YouTube channel has way improved. Like The, the fact they're getting highlights up mere hours after races actually happen... That's definitely a forward step, and I'm glad that they're bringing up more more of their archive as well. Good stuff. I'm glad that Liberty has come in with the with the YouTube channel and definitely raised their social media game for sure. But uh, what would what would you guys add to the circle? Fan boost. Oh, I would really I'd really want them to do an IndyCar and post full races after they've been completed. Like maybe not immediately. Maybe you could not even like the next race. Like even like a month after would be improve like an improvement. Just like posting it up at all. Or maybe Just, even uh, at the end of the season. I don't know. Just yes. throw us a bone here. Um, yeah, like I, I know the Bundesliga YouTube channel for the for German football. Like it's a tradition. Every Christmas they put up a full game on Christmas Eve. They put up a classic game they will put up in full on YouTube, which no other football league really does, On especially out of the big five in Europe anyway, so which is kind of crazy. That would be pretty cool, I can't lie. Any Anything else you guys would, would, would recommend to add? Like I said, fan boost, anyone? <laughs> no? No, 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 <laughs> no, not fan boost. Um, can the Formula One account just slide into somebody's DMs late at night? <laughs> like who's? I don't know. I, I'm just saying it could be a possibility. Yeah, just just F1 just randomly DMing people saying, yeah, here's your full race link for you. <laughs> just oh just sending unsolicited 2014 Caterham nose pics. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag send Caterhams. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd be down for that. Sure, why not? That's always that's always the best solution. Um, a question specifically towards me from Charles Reginball. Would you rather go a year without Snapple or another decade without a Ferrari championship? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Um, 
Ooh, that's tough. Charlie asking the hard hidden questions. Oh, what, here on Motorsport One, I want we only deal with the hard questions. That's um, true. Consider, ooh. consider. Vettel may leave Ferrari at any time, but Snapple is something that can be easily obtained at any point in the year. Yeah, give me the Snapple, please. Like, like <laughs> I hope Merckx will sign Vettel to replace Bottas at the end of the season. So I will happily take. A year without Snapple. Uh, 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 give me the Snapple. Give me the Snapple. I can't have Ferrari winning the title <laughs> just in case he leaves. I don't, like Ferrari is delightful when Vettel's in it. Otherwise, it's terrible. So please, let's give me the Snapple, please. Um, uh, Button NK, aka Evan, asks in more serious terms: What F one season would you make into a movie, and who would you cast? Twenty twelve for the season for me. Well, we've already got a movie about 1976. Like, there needs to be a movie about 2012. Yeah, it was a, a movie about 1976 that got a lot of our friends in our circle into racing to begin with. Yes. Thank you, Ron Howard. Um, Thank you, Ron Howard. Happy days. I would go with... Hmm, hmm, what would be a good season? We've had documentaries about the late 80s and early 90s extensively. I've got a... I'd say I gotta agree with, uh... No... No, I gotta... Hmm. 2003? Tough call. 2003 would be a good, good season. I just don't know if it's movie caliber. I gotta agree with you, Dre. 2012 would be pretty, pretty awesome. So who plays who? Like, can we have Denzel play Lewis Hamilton? Oh, oh my god. Javier <laughs> um, Bardem plays Fernando Alonso. Um, I know, Michael, Michael B. Jordan plays Lewis Hamilton. Oh no, please, no! <laughs> <laughs> just just to upset King. <laughs> like, who would I have play Lewis Hamilton? Mm. Uh, from YouTube? Probably John Boyega. Yeah, that's a good shout. That's actually a pretty good shout from King. Absolutely. Yeah, have Boyega Absolutely. play him. That's, that's great. Who plays Sebastian Vettel then? Goodness. Do we, um, do, do, do we bring Hemsworth in for another role? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Brule. Yeah. Yeah, Daniel Brule again. Why not? Why not? I have Daniel Brule in there. Does anybody get to play Mark Webber? Do, do, do we get do you get a few Jackman in to play Mark Webber? Huge Jackman. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, who would you cast for Maldonado, though? Ooh. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. I'm pretty sure a pastor would be available to play himself. <laughs> oh my god, please. <laughs> we'll get Sylvester Stallone to play him. Just like in Driven. <laughs> that reaction oh was great. I still have Spain 2012, and you can never take that away from me. The internet's only pastor Maldonado supporter. You're not alone. Like, uh, like it, it's gonna be like the face of Bo when he dies in Doctor Who, and his last word to the Doctor is, "You're not alone." It's, it's gonna start RJ off on a path where he has to find another Pastor Maldonado fan. It's great. <laughs> Out, hard mode outside of Venezuela. Okay, oh, what would be my season? What, what season would I pick? For? You're the historian, oh. King. You, 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 this, this, this seems right up your alley. Fifty-five. Uh, I pro. No, not fifty-five. Fifty-five is too. Just like evil empire, just like coming to destroy the world, succeeding, and like 
Like, no one wants to see Fangio cakewalk to a Mercedes title while Mercedes, like, murders half of Le Mans. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I'd probably pick uh, 56, the teammates, like, 56, where Fangio and uh, Moss battle at Ferrari. No love for 2008? <laughs> or I'd probably pick uh, the Homer pick, 61. Phil Hill becomes the first American oh, to win the world sake. title <laughs> at Ferrari. So yeah, it'd be two Ferrari movies. There's plenty With... of those already. It's called the Michael Schumacher archive. <laughs> that's like the kind of that's the that's the kind of material that you would watch after dark. <laughs> whoa, whoa! But these are close title fights. No, t- albeit between Ferrari teammates. No, no, 2004 King, 2004. Mm, the, vintage, the vintage collection. Um, the vintage collection. Len Morrison asks, does F1 need to consider a race in a new region? Perhaps another in South America or even Africa or Scandinavia? Um, yes, they definitely need to consider a second race in South America. I would volunteer Argentina, which has a great racing yeah. history, and Uruguay, which is just beautiful and needs a replacement for Punta del Este. Scandinavia is almost overdue considering all the great Finnish talent that they've had. And sure. um, maybe they like the can... only problem with, yeah, the only problem with having a race in Scandinavia is it pretty much has to replace a race on the calendar to even like be a possibility because it needs to be in the dead middle of summer or it can't happen. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, too much it's, snow. Yeah. It, it, it's cold up in Scandinavia. It gets dark <laughs> very quickly. Yes, Absolutely. Um, let's have a look here on my inbox if there's anything. Yeah, but yeah, Argentina. Argentina, that that seems pretty cool to me. Yep, I think we are just about done here, folks. Yep, we are. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. It's been a very fun show, as always. And if you want to check us out on social media before we go, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at twitter.com at motorsport underscore 101 and personally us on twitter you can uh, follow us at ryan eric king with two k's at harrison 101 and at rj o'connell be sure to listen to bike live later in the week as well we'll have a full review of the moto gp action in the aforementioned argentina as vaverick vinales has already turned an early screw in the championship by winning his second straight round ahead of valentino rossi in his 350th grand prix which is just terrifying to even consider. And Cal Crutchlow on the podium again in, in Argentina is also all of that. The Moto2 action is Frankie Morbidelli took his second straight win. And Joanne May also taking his second straight win. A lot of repeats on, um, on on the show this week. But all of that on Bike Live later this week with me and Lewis Sudderby. And uh, yeah, if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Maverick Vinales owns us all. He just does. <laughs> he owns us all. Well, I can't wait for Tom Cruise to play him in the movie.